Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. How's it going? It's it's going. It's uh the election's over. That's true. But um turns out that the world is still the way it was <laughs> mostly. Yeah. <laughs> if not getting worse. Yeah. I kind of want to go back and listen to our coronavirus episode from March and be like, where were we off? Mm. I think not so much in what we were off about, like how the world's going to change, because that's still left to be determined, obviously. But sort of some of our speaking around timelines, I seem to remember that we were like we were both pretty much like this is going to be a lot longer than people think. I remember us definitely using the thing, the phrase six months plus. Yeah. Which we are very much in the plus zone now. Well, um, I mean, I think we've vastly underestimated the... um, uh, willingness of Republicans to politicize it in such a way that like um, it became a thing of like and it became an article of faith to pretend it's not real and pretend it doesn't matter and pretend none of this is happening. Yeah. So that definitely dragged things out. Yeah. Plus, it just um, sucks. I mean, even places. I mean, obviously, we're being the best at being the worst right now. Go us, I guess. Mm hmm. But. I mean, a lot of other places currently are starting to experience giant surges again and shutting down and having to take, you know, stringent measures. This thing just doesn't want to quit. Well, I mean, we're so dumb. And I don't just mean Americans, although we are dumb. (laughs) Um, Deeply, deeply dumb. But like as humans, our our attention span as a species really uh, came to the forefront here. Yeah, because it's like, look, yes, the lockdowns, they work, but um, they need to be accompanied by a test and trace program and they need to be accompanied by um, relief packages so that people don't have they don't have to choose between paying the rent and staying safe. Um, But you also need the test and trace program online so that. When you come out of lockdown, you can contain where you do have the spread. Right. But we, as America, were like, well, what if we just did the lockdown? But then also, like, once we got bored with it, we would just stop. Right. (laughs) Which is exactly what we did. We got bored. And now this thing has dragged on for so long where now the thing that everyone said was going to happen, which is this compounding of reopenings, people getting less cautious, Plus the seasonal effects of moving indoors, going back to school and, um, uh, you know, whether or not the weather affects, I don't know, but like all that. So now it's worse than it's ever been. But we as a species have been like, yeah, we're we're on to a new thing. We don't care about that anymore. Like we just don't it's not it's not interesting anymore. It's not exciting anymore. So like we're we don't care. We're not going to do anything about it because we don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. The novelty is gone. Uh, so we suck. Yep. Um, and there's and also this this effect of like, I mean, I've been talking to people about it, like just like all of a sudden it was like in the last like week and a half, people were just like, oh, right. This thing is really bad. And I really just think like it shows and not to be one of like those people, but like it shows the impact and the effect that media can have on us. And I include myself in that because for like a month, all I was reading about was the election. And focusing on and a lot of ways it feels like we just sort of forgot along with what you said, like being like willfully ignorant. But 
it just feels like, oh, right. While we turned our back getting distracted with this other really important thing, this thing came back and just bit us in the ass really hard. And there's been like this collective realization. It's like, oh, no, no. Oh, no. And like as things just start to like collapse around us again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And right on time for it to really have a you know, a really brutal impact on everyone because it's cresting. Well, not not cresting. Who knows? But like all of a sudden this is coming back into consciousness right around the time when everyone the the, the biggest times of year when you want to be traveling and seeing friends and family. Mm-hmm. And also after we've been starved of those interactions for what is it now? Eight months. Yep. Oof. And yeah. during a time when not that Donald Trump was ever too concerned with helping anyone with this, but now he has absolutely zero yeah. incentive to help. Um, so it's going to be a real cool couple of months here. Yeah, I would suggest that everyone strap in and find some things that you like to read slash watch slash play maybe some of which we will talk about and try and find some joy in that because honestly there's not going to be a lot of it elsewhere for a while yeah i will say that coronavirus aside um pretty much the day when i say the day after the election i mean like the day after it kind of when the results were were clear right once we were kind of at the point where we're like, okay, yeah, we see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, I suddenly found myself able to like, like watch shit and care about shit again, like fictionally fictional stuff. Because for a very long time, honestly, really since the start of the pandemic, and that's you know why we've done counting this one three episodes since this thing happened. <laughs> oh God, is, is it that because bad? <laughs> it's been. Like, it's been really hard to think about or care about fiction in the world we're living in. But now that this election is behind us and um, we can at least say things won't be getting worse (laughs) next year. Um, I'm not I'm not holding out a lot of hope that things will get better, but I at least, you know, confident things won't get worse. But like, it's just like I feel like I can breathe again and I'm like, oh, I can actually like enjoy some flights of fancy you know yeah um the, these things don't feel as small as they used to mm-hmm. so i get what far. you're saying i i tend to lean on escapism i think in a lot of trying times but i can't i would say i i've been consuming a lot but i haven't been in, and like consuming it thoughtfully but i just didn't have to your point sort of the energy to like engage with it out of anything except for escapism yeah and 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 some of it for me it's not just you know the the fact that i've like not really been watching or reading much of anything um during this period is also not just the political and irl you know realities but also like pretty much in the summer karen and i started the project of buying a house which takes up a lot of your mental energy and then moving into that house, which now we're here. Um, so that takes up a lot of mental energy. Plus Karen's dad passing away this summer. Um, you know, that is a big focus of, you know, of, of, of months and months of your life. So, um, 
And so it's not just the fact that like, oh, I can't read comic books because Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, it's also a little bit of like I have had a lot of just really big life stuff going on over the last, you know, six to eight months that have that has also been like, you know, one of the reasons I just haven't been engaging too much with, you know, the the, the fictional world, the imagined world. Yeah, I mean, I've been in a similar boat. I've had, you know, you said like, you know, my like my father passed away from COVID in the spring, which granted was not a lot of my uh, time, but it was a lot of my mental thought. Yeah. Um, you know, we try to do a lot of house projects in this time period just because what else can you fucking do? Um, got a new, got a new job. So that was time oh, consuming right. stuff um, or getting a new job, I guess I should say. Yeah. And just like, you know. There's every family thing, friend thing. I've been, I feel like I've been donating a lot of my time to my friends and family because I felt relatively okay and trying to help people who aren't feeling relatively okay. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, can be time consuming. It's totally worth every second I spend doing it. But, um, you know, it, it is, it is draining and it is time consuming. So I'm hoping to, you know, regroup a little, like you said, post election and, Trying to enter this quarantine phase with the, I, you know, whatever the next few months look like. And I think it's going to be longer because I was really expecting to be where we're at right now on November 17th on like mm. December, you know, 28th or something. Like everyone fucked around for the holidays and made bad choices. And now we're back in it along with all the other factors that you right. mentioned. Instead, it's happening before, which sucks even more, you know. And people are still going to make a lot of mistakes and fuck around over the holidays, which is going to only exacerbate where we're at now, <sighs> which means makes me think that this is not going to be like, oh, it was kind of like, you know, March through May. And then we kind of got to a status quo where we could kind of go out and about and blah, blah. And like, plus it's winter. So the options are limited. So I just kind of feel like we're going to be in this state for a while. And I'm trying to be like, what do I need to get through this? All right. I've got a lot of booze. That's good. That's <laughs> number one. I've got books I want to read. I've got, you know, just like trying to be a little more purposeful and not just like I just need to get through it because I think there's come to the point where it's just like I just need to get through it for like months on end can kind of make you feel, I don't know, shitty, shitty. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but that's sort of where my, my minds are at around it right now. I mean, I think that's a good way of, pro of approaching it of like because the first one, we were all thinking like, well, let's be like six to eight weeks, whatever. Let's hunker down. Let's do this. Um, but now it's seeming like, well, based on the last one, like we know we're going to be in this for the long haul. And um, and we're also now we're all going to be a lot more skeptical of when reopenings start to happen. That's my hunch anyway is mm -hmm. because we reopened once and look what happened you know right and we had to roll it all back again so everybody's going to be and when i say everybody i mean you know everybody with an ounce of sense in their heads which turns out to be about 51 percent um <laughs> is gonna like be a little bit more skeptical of the government's state and federal saying go go back to buffalo wild wings um but it also does seem like there is a there is a light at the end of the tunnel here because it seems like we're very close to working vaccines. Now, there is the whole issue of distribution and then the whole issue of um, uh, who's going to pay for it, because 
I have zero confidence that it's going to be free um, for everyone. I, I have zero confidence in that. Um, and I would I would I would love the Biden administration to prove me wrong. But uh, I have a feeling it's, you know, going to be like free, uh, you know, um, you know, if you bought Obamacare on the second Tuesday of a full moon, you know, and you're also, you know, a one legged Latina with two Pell Grants, you know, then you get it for free. Everybody else pays full price. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be something like that. Um, but you get all that stuff out of the way and then you have um, uh, the issue of, well, how do I know that enough people around me have taken it that I can like resume normal activities or start start engaging in 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 you know riskier activities because that's a big part of it you know yeah like now I I should you know both of us live in you know pretty blue areas you know um you know you 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 live in the in the in the very scary or outside the very scary city that um. Uh, stole the election from our very good orange president. Yeah, man, where bad things happen, you know. <laughs> um, and I live in, you know, um, uh, in a in a in a blue in one of the in one of the bluer counties of a blue state. So it's probably not a big deal for us. Like, you know, chances are, let's say the vaccine hits in April or May. You know, probably by June, we 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 can feel pretty confident. Like, oh, we've hit, you know. We're, we're, we're good, you know? Yeah. But I also live pretty close to the border of Virginia <laughs> and, um, thankfully not as close, but close to the border of West Virginia, Oof. which despite being the one that, you know, uh, fought for the union, like, oh boy, they took a turn. Yeah. What happened there? Anyway. Um, <laughs> lots of things. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, I think that, you know, my, my goal like in my head is just like, for me, my best case scenario now is like next fall will look normal. That's what I'm hoping. For. That's probably true. I'm hoping so for a lot of reasons. But, you know, partially because that's sort of like the way my framing of, you know, working at a university works. Of just like, well, maybe next year will be better. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the summer, if if this summer, if like next summer looks like this summer did, it's like that was doable. It sucked, but it was doable. Now, to what extent? us being status quo doable contributed to arise is debatable, I guess. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, with the numbers they're saying of like the, uh, vaccine effectiveness, it feels very promising. Cause then even if you, a lot of people don't take it, it's like, well, we're 94% or 90% or whatever they're quoting, you know, today is like, that's pretty damn high <laughs> for a vaccine. Right. Um, stunningly There's high actually, if it really is that high. There's some, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, you, you know, we'll get to a point and I, I'm fairly confident in Maryland, um, because despite having a Republican governor, um, he is at least like pragmatic and like, like, you know, generally has been doing things pretty well here. Um, uh, so I would hope there would be something like, Hey, look in the state of Maryland, we know that if we if if every time a, a vaccine dose is administered, somebody marks it on a little piece of paper, right? And once the number of 
doses have been administered. Like there's a there's a there's a threshold number. It says like once we've put out like I don't know three million of these things, we will have reached whatever threshold we are where we're you know like okay we've effectively got this thing covered. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully we will do something like that, and then like you know you can basically give the all clear. Um, but it also is like, well, but I would also want Virginia to, you know, all the bordering states to also hit their goals before we. But um, and I will say that one thing that the Biden administration will probably do is like have a better way to coordinate between all the states, you know, to make sure that things like this uh, are are taken into account and coordinated, you know, like, hey, let's make sure that before state X changes their restrictions the states around it have reached a certain you know what i mean yeah um because it's not just you know especially if like you live you know you know where i live we have so much interplay between maryland dc and northern virginia right like people live and work in all three different places and there's all this crossing around right mm-hmm and that's three different jurisdictions. So, you know, and it's not like you're going to put up checkpoints at the borders, right? Um, you've got to have some kind of coordination between the states so that, you know, uh, nobody's doing anything dumb. Anyway, so I, I don't know. I think you're right. I mean, summer and fall, I think, but it won't be back to normal. It's never going to be back to normal. We've yeah. all been in this for way too long. Yeah, what is normal? You know, and this. And this thing has become so ingrained in the culture war that um, uh, it won't be normal. It'll just be something else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have a feeling that for a very long time after the virus is, quote unquote, defeated, um, mask wearing will be like flag pins in, in government, you know, where yeah. it's a mark of allegiance. And like, if you are a Democrat, you are like, you still wear your mask in public just as a way of signaling to other Democrats that you're a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, and not wearing a mask in public is, you know what I mean? It's going to become a, it's going to become a cultural signifier for a long time after it has any real like medical effectiveness. That said, uh, it, I have not had a cold since March. <laughs> Same. It's so, pretty wild about know, how man, that works. Maybe you just wearing a mask when you're out in public isn't the worst and not going to an office is maybe not the worst thing. No, I mean, like, you know, I, I hope that one of the things that does come out of this is that like mask wearing at bare minimum, like when you yourself are sick is something that because it's, it's something that they do. They, you know, they have kind of done off and on certain areas and certain groups in Asia. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like that's just it's just smart. Like they're saying that, like. They're expecting the flu season is not going to be real bad this year because the same things that are effective against coronavirus are effective against the flu. Um, although they have, you know, gone back because back in the beginning, at the end of last flu season, they were using the flu test as a signifier that you didn't have coronavirus because they thought they were. Hmm. Uh, there's a word for it, but basically there's a medical term, but it's basically mutually exclusive. Like you can't have the flu and coronavirus in time. That's not true. You can. And it's bad. <laughs> So, um, you know, don't don't have that happen. But, yeah, I do think that there's just a lot of things, you know, just like we talked about a lot in our episode, like what this not being and, you know, we'll always clarify, like we're talking about a specific slice of like generally middle class, upper middle class, white suburban slash urban like 
people like you and I, you know, who have the privilege of like having an office job that can work remotely. Yep. And but like that's a, there's a lot of people in that chunk and just the things that have happened because of that and how people are used to it or not, are not used to. I mean, I, you know, I, I thought a lot about it. Right. I was starting a new job. I'm like, I'm not going to get to meet anyone in person from my new team, including the now people that I'm managing. It's just like in person for who knows how long. Yeah. Kind of weird. Kind of sucks. And I'm someone who's like pretty pro. I'm pretty technocratic when it comes to most things. Right. Like it's my job basically, but it still is weird. And uh, at the same time, it's like, man, going to the office seems like such a such a rigmarole. <laughs> oh, yeah. I well, I mean, I've it's so weird because like all conversations now, it's like I, mean, I can't remember if I've had this conversation with you or with other people. <laughs> but, you know, there have been a couple times where um, I have uh, um, had to go back to the office for um, some some reason or another, you know, like we you know, I had to, I had to like move some stuff around on my desk. And there was another time where like I needed to, you know, use like uh, the, the, like the big, um, wide format scanner or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that time in the car felt like such a waste. <laughs> yeah, like, man. you know, it's like 25 minutes, 30 minutes each way to the office for me. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like this, I can't believe I did this every day for years like just this absolute waste of time you know yeah um of of just being in the car just being in the car to get to this building where other people who work for the same company as me are also there yep yeah it's it's bizarre and like i think about it and i also feel the other way like when i'm when i have been driving other places you know like you know we went away for a little bit like being in the car when i'm going someplace else i feel so much less bad about being in the car because I didn't also spend six hours mm. in the car that week prior, like driving to and from work. So it's like, no, oh, being in the car is not that bad. Like, well, and, and going anywhere, you know, now sure. is more sure. of an adventure and less of a chore. Yeah. Um, I, I've had a couple, you know, and we should move on from terrible, depressing coronavirus okay. topics at some point. But I had a couple realizations of some things that have come into you know, just with where we're at right now, I wanted to talk about them briefly because they're a little broader and a little more butts up against some of the kind of fiction we read about, about like, you know, the nature of humanity and such things. So my first realization is that, you know, that once upon a time I had a certain, you know, left leaning libertarian perspective on the world. Mm-hmm. And while I still sympathize with many things, this this pandemic has shown that you can't just trust individuals to do the right thing and it'll all be OK. Anything left of that in my head is now annihilated. Uh, I mean, I have been I certainly have been radicalized by um, the Trump presidency and this year in particular. Um, I don't know. See, I kind of agree with you to a certain extent of like, well, I mean, I have a lot of problems with, you know, American libertarianism for a lot of reasons. But like, can we trust people to do the right thing? I mean, as an anarchist, I kind of have to say yes. But I because I honestly think that without the without the authoritarian impulse and and without the um, the, the, the Trump to capitalize on that impulse, 
I think people would have done a better job of um, of like wearing their masks. Right. Like there were there there was a specific person <laughs> who decided to use his position of authority to encourage people to do the wrong thing. Right. Mm-hmm. To provide a cultural incentive to doing the wrong thing. And I mean, I think that's that's troubling. But I also wonder um, if he wasn't a factor, would you still have as many anti-maskers? And would you have as many like people in other positions of authority, other governors and et cetera, who chose the wrong path because it was politically expedient? Yeah. I guess that's always the difficult chicken or the egg about government versus non-government, right? And does government encourage these things or allow or, you know, dictate some of this stuff? Or is it the other way around? It certainly has made me think a little bit about, because I have absolutely been radicalized into anarchism, um, as it's classically defined, meaning just in opposition to hierarchy, not... um, not a support for chaos. <laughs> um, uh, also, anarchy as a analytical framework, not as an end goal necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. When people think of anarchy as a noun, they think of chaos, and that's not like what I'm trying to get towards. But uh, anyway, um, uh, but like you wonder, okay, in a truly stateless society, how do you respond to something like this, Right. Because one of the things that this has shown us is that coordinated response is is necessary to deal with something like this. Right. Yes. Like, um, you know, if if, if you're in some kind of, you know, uh, anarcho syndicalist utopia where it's all just, you know, little independent communes, you know, um, if one commune decides to that they don't believe in masks, the whole thing falls apart. Right. Right. And if you're not doing things like coordinating among them and saying like, hey, that commune over there, they're all anti-maskers. So, like, don't trade with them because you're going to get sick and we all need to agree not to trade with them. Right. Like you need some some level of coordination. Um, And it's difficult to imagine how that's done without a state, Um, you know, do something like this. But uh, yeah. So my other realization because I could talk about anarchy for a while, but I'm not going to. Anarchism. Um, sorry. However you want to frame it. Mm-hmm. Um, is sort of like humans ability to, and I'm including myself in here, like rationalize anything. And I think a lot about this. People talk about this a lot in, it's a kind of a popular topic in like very modern lower M, lowercase M modern, like current historical thought around like you know let's think about the you know nazi germany is a prime example but lots of other places you know where some sort of you know reactionary or radical path occurs or event happens and it's like how did people rationalize to do x you know the holocaust whatever the example is and it's just like man we like i can't trust my own brain because i can feel you you feel you're like well, I can go see this person because, well, like, they, you know, they're they're doing this and, and I'm doing that. And like you can talk yourself into things very quickly. That's a weird jump to make. But just I feel like a lot of this, 
you know, a lot of this is because of, like you said, the hyperpolarization and just like, but like, like partially our inability to adapt, but also our ability to just like talk ourselves into doing stupid shit. And I just find that very interesting and also kind of troubling. Uh, yeah. So, well, I mean, our brains are certainly vulnerable to certain to being hacked and co-opted in certain ways. Right. Like, you know, like suicide cults exist. Right. Like and that's because to, to put it very broadly, the cult leader is, you know, somehow has either by accident or design figured out how to hack the brains of his followers. You know, like there is some, you know, special combination of emotional and psychological manipulation that tricks the brain into, you know, behaving in, in these really strange ways. Right. I know that sounds kind of mystical, but it's, it's, it's true. You know, how else does Jonestown happen? Um, it's and that's, you know, that's just the way we are. We got we got we got thinking meats. And sometimes, you know, those thinking meats can be tricked. You know, we've all seen the videos of, of like you can of you can scare a cat with a cucumber because they think it's a snake. You know, <laughs> yeah, because you like you you, ha- you, you, you just hate you just hacked your cat's brain. Well, our brains are only slightly more advanced than cats. So, yeah, there's going to be certain things that can uh, be used to turn large groups of people into lunatic mobs. Um, and I think that people who have a natural authoritarian tendency are probably more vulnerable to that than others. But that's certainly not true. I mean, the anarchist perspective is that uh that's one more argument for not investing too much power in any particular individual um to allow them to manipulate a group in such a way again either by accident or design um but i think another part of it is um uh our culture has become so atomized and alienated from each other that um where so much of our social interactions happen on Facebook or, you know, insert, uh, insert wherever the kids are now. Um, only fans, right? That's where they are. I've heard that word. It's, <laughs> is it, uh, yeah. Only fans. Yeah. I think that's what, what everyone's doing. Um, <laughs> don't Google that one, mom. <laughs> uh, but like it's, um, that extreme opinions and extreme ideas and hot takes, right? That's what these algorithms favor. Mm. Um, and I think that allows people to get excited and commit to extreme positions and to, uh, you know, to, um, you know, to not want to get owned and want to own, you know, like, so mm-hmm. the craziness of QAnon and et cetera, I think is like, you only get that with the internet because if you had to have those conversations in person, come on, we're not going to get there, you know, um, yeah. or at least not as many people are going to get there. Right. Um, and it, we've, we've reached a point culturally where identity matters so much to people and, um, like if you can make if you can take something, any 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 element of a person's life and make it a part of their identity, they'll defend it to the death because that's become such an important thing for us now. And if you can ingrain someone's like position on whether or not masks are effective as part of their political identity, they're not going to back away from that. There's too much invested in it. Um, and because the Internet, where most of our political discourse is happening encourages the most extreme, most controversial 
views. Those are the views you're going to adopt. Those are the views you're going to make part of your identity. And now it's going to be that much harder to pry you out of them. I also have a theory about, I've been thinking a lot about why is identity so important or not so important, but so at the center of everything right now. Mm -hmm. And we have this culture war around identity. And part of my theory is that to your point, back when most of our interactions were happening in person or in surrogate in person in many ways, we were less able to straw man Mm -hmm. because you generally knew something more about the person and the like blanket and an enemy of the internet minus a couple bits of information you get by being able to see someone's, you know, profile or picture or whatever. It makes us want to straw man because we have nothing else to go off of. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, it actually makes us into straw men. Yeah. Like the, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that like, because of the way that, you know, people talk to each other and judge each other and whatever it, you know, people then retreat into that identity almost subconsciously or unconsciously because, you know, like you'll, I'll see these interactions online or take part in them. And it's just like, holy shit, like you are this per, like you are this straw man that I assume is people. And then I see them like if they have half a brain, they're, they're decrying about being labeled as a straw man, but they are like, you know, they are that person. Right. And it's, it's like, it's a mind, it's kind of a mind boggling situation to think about and it's just like who how did this you know and it just makes sense that that would happen based on this anonymity and how we sort of kind of want to pull ourselves into tribes and identities and put ourselves in boxes and when things start to be associated with that then you become that and it's it's a really weird cycle that is very horrifying to me well and and i think it's part of this is also the just the political realities of America today is that like there's so little that's up for debate in terms of actual policy that the only things that we can argue about are the symbolic cultural things. You know, there's just so little about, you know, it's just whether or not it's okay to use a particular term to refer to a particular person Um, or, you know, um, whether or not a particular statue should be in a particular park, you know, like that's what our most of our political conversations are about. Um, It's all just cultural identity stuff because the Overton window right now with our politics is so fucking narrow, you know? Yeah. Like we're not talking about, you know, I mean, look, the, the Obamacare debate was, bad for so many reasons but at least like we were genuinely having conversations on television and on the internet about the like the pros and cons of various formulations of it right and like there were actual mostly good faith debates about whether or not a single payer was superior to a public option, right? Right. We're not going to have that debate now, right? Now it's 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 not which do you think is like more effective? It's, you know, it's um if you believe that, well then you must be one of those BLM antifa cucks. Like mm-hmm. that's the conversation. It's a conversation about who you are because you support something, but often the things that you can choose to support are so narrow that you know, it's just tribe versus tribe. Um, 
And, you know, that's the fault of our leaders <laughs> for yeah. not giving us anything really to um, to uh, to talk about. And, and, and there's no way to persuade someone. Right. Like it's possible to persuade a person that policy proposal X is better than policy proposal Y. Right. It's next to impossible to persuade someone that their cultural identity is bad and they should abandon it. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's um, we're not having conversations about what are the appropriate policies to uh, reduce police violence. You know, we're having a conversation about whether or not you're a BLM person. And if you are, then you uh, then you by necessity have a whole bunch of other signifiers attached to you. And if you don't, you know, if you are not a BLM supporter, you have a whole bunch of other cultural things attached to you. Um, and it's because our leaders have refused to engage with and I, I'm just using BLM as an example here. Our, our leaders have refused to engage with BLM on a policy on policy grounds at all, um, you know, in any kind of broad national conversation like, you know, at no point during the, the height of the BLM protests was Donald Trump saying, OK, of the eight can't wait demands, here are the three that I'm willing to do. But these other five like, no, we weren't having that conversation. We were having a conversation about whether or not BLM were terrorists. Yeah, I mean, and whether or not you're the real racist for being in BLM. Right. And it's like this is the same kind of thing. I I, explain, I explained this thought I had to you like many, many months ago about how, you know, the difference from even when I remember that I was younger, you know, high school or college, just like people used to recognize the same problems and then debate them. They right. have different solutions. And one was usually better than the other, usually. But they were still the same problem, you know. In the 90s, it's crime, you know, you know, it's on the 70s and 70s, it's drugs and, you know, and the gas crisis and all these things. And it's just like now, even up into, you know, even up into the 2000s, it's like, you know, you've got, OK, like terrorism and well, how do we solve it? What's the solution? And now it's like we're not even thinking the issue like the people, you know, to, to use your example, we're talking about criminal justice and, and police violence. It's like one side thinks there's no problem at all. And the other side, it thinks it's the most important problem. Right. And then that applies to everything. Right. Like one side thinks immigration, you know, is this huge issue. And the other side just like, well, it's, I mean, it's not great, but, you know, one side thinks climate change isn't real. And I think it's, it's an existential crisis. Right. One side thinks trans rights are a major issue. One people are one. The other side thinks trans people don't exist. You know, it's like so it's not like we're talking. We're never debating policy like we're debating policy on how to solve a problem, even up to coronavirus, which is like demonstrably a real thing <laughs> it's like nope it's not real or it's not a big deal or whatever so it's right like, it's impossible to make any progress because it's just like well we're not even we can't even agree on the issues let alone how to solve them so well and that's because we've been like i genuinely think that um it's a failure of our leaders um on both sides um, I, I would say that the Republicans are more bad faith in this than the Democrats are, but the Democrats are uh, have their own problems here. Um, and uh, but a big part of it is that solutions <sighs> acknowledging a problem means acknowledging that there's a problem with the status quo and solutions mean changing the status quo. And our leaders and I'm excluding Donald Trump from this because he doesn't give a shit about anything, um, but like. 
Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi both agree that the status quo is actually probably pretty good and we don't want to really do anything about it in any major way. We want to argue about things like, um, again, symbolic issues, right? Um, But anything that would require us to actually change the status quo, we would prefer not to engage with that. Um, And... I think that's got to change. It's got to fucking change because, you know, if you're comfortable with the status quo, you know, having, you know, voters argue about, you know, how many black people on TV is too many black people. You'd much rather have that conversation than, you know, um, you know, uh, Medicare for all Medicare for all Medicare for all is hard work. It will produce winners and losers. Um, but the way that politics has worked for, you know, the establishment is um, not to actually win any battles, but just promise you're fighting really, really hard and we'll get them next time. I promise, you know? Yeah. Like once I mean, honestly, once you repeal Roe v. Wade, I mean, you don't repeal, but once you overturn Roe v. Wade, what's going to bring out the evangelicals? Right. Yeah. So do you really want to overturn it? Or do you really just want to be always just, oh, we were just so close, guys. But maybe next time, keep donating, keep voting, and we'll get them. I promise. Um, but they'd much rather see us fighting over over the culture war stuff. Um, they, they, they'd much rather, um, you know, have, have BLM be like, do you support the cops? Wait, well, you know, or are you a non-racist, right? And you can, and, and... If you if you're if you're not with BLM, you must be a racist. Um, and if you're with BLM, you must not be a racist. Or if you watch another channel, if you're with BLM, you're the real racist and also a terrorist. Um, and if you're not with them, well, that's because you support the police. Right. And it's about who you are, not about what the actual policy argument is. Yeah. <sighs> you remember when we said I said like literally 30 seconds before we start recording, like maybe this time we won't. Dive into politics. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it is what it is. But that's but 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 the truth is that I mean, and I don't think you and I are alone in this. But I think the last four years and this year especially has really rewired a lot of our brains. Yeah, and you're right. You know, it's it's hard for me to think about anything now without thinking about thinking about things through the lens of um, you know, th- through these lenses of things like hierarchy and manipulation and um overton windows <laughs> um and uh you know and 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 culture wars it's really hard for me to look at anything without seeing those things yeah well greg we have to rewire your brain again because i'm giving you an assignment oh shit it's better not be to watch the expanse man well, your assignment is to subtract five hours a week of listening to weird anarchist podcasts slash consuming weird anarchist literature online and replace it with anything else. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, wait. Specifically, The Expanse. <laughs> what, what about anarchist science fiction? <laughs> all right. Gray area. I'll let it slide. <laughs> Also, I've read all the China Miaville, so if anybody knows of any other good I can't um, keep rereading. <laughs> I will say as a transition, I have been listening to a podcast. You probably have heard about it before. I think I recommend it to you. It's called You're Wrong About. Um, it's too oh, yeah. it's too like 
one's a journalist and one's, I guess she would call herself a writer, maybe not a journalist, but, um, I don't know. They're both journalists. Um, and they're both like kind of young, insufferable lefty journalists. Um, but they basically just like pick a topic and like research it heavily. And then one kind of presents it to the other. Hmm. Um, and it's not like overtly a politically leaning podcast, but very quickly you, you know, their yeah. inclinations are made well known and the, their takes on things are obviously cast yeah. in a way that you can't, you, know, you can't do a, like a, here's a representation of a misunderstood historical event without having like pretty clear agenda of how you would prefer it be interpreted. Right. You know, and I think like generally they're pretty fair. I think definitely, um, and I'm blanking on their names because they don't actually say their names a lot very often on the show. Michael is the guy, the gentleman. Um, he tends to be a little more like, you know, he still has his biases, but he sends, he tends to be a little more, I think, objective where Sarah, uh, um, she tends to be a little more like she's the much more like she's a walking stereotype. I'll put it that way. <laughs> but, um, in a endearing way sometimes and sometimes a grading way, but they talk about all kinds of things. They probably had the podcast for two or three years and it's just a lot of different things. They'll, they'll do some things that are a little more political, like they did a couple part episode on, you know, the Monica Lewinsky um, scandal and the Clinton impeachment. They did one on the 2000 election and just basically just try and go back and try and figure out like what actually happened and how was it presented at the time and how are people looking at it now? Um, you know, and down to like just like random stuff, like, you know, more like along the kind of true crime, like they'll talk about serial killers. They'll talk about Coco the gorilla. Just like, yeah, this is a thing that was you think it, you think was like this, but really it wasn't. And yeah, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, uh, there's some some, you know, some episodes are better than others for sure. But um, and once you kind of get their sticks and it gets a little annoying, one of their catchphrases is it was capitalism all along. So you'll enjoy that piece. But <laughs> yeah, um, it usually is. It usually is. Yeah. Uh, but I've learned some interesting things and, and, you know, it's kind of enjoyable to listen to. Although I will say for someone who has like I think what is like a fairly popular podcast with like a Patreon and merch and all these kind of things like they like it's just like dudes buy a fucking Yeti and like stop recording in I don't know where the hell you are but like the audio quality is just like a varying like it seems like you know most podcasts ours included like the first you know couple episodes are probably a little rough and then you start to even it out and kind of as you go it gets better and better because people are upgrading their equipment and they're you know caring more and they're learning more editing techniques it just seems like it's a mixed bag of just like oh this episode's like the most recent episode's like wow this sounds like garbage and then this episode from two years ago sounds pretty good huh I think part of it is they're both a little transient. So like their recording places are like, uh, you know, sure. not always easy to, to lock down, but still. So, but it's also very nice because you can kind of just pick and there's no like, you know, yeah. there's some just like, you know, the reference things, but you can kind of just be like, well, I'm kind of want to know about this. Yeah. Uh, I really like, um, I mean, I, I like the, the, the concept right there is, is very appealing to me because I'm always fascinated by those little, like, you thought you knew the, you know, you thought you knew the story of X, Y, Z, but actually it's, here's the facts. Um, I, I always think those are very interesting because it's always like, you know, like the, uh, the lady who spilled the hot coffee on her mm -hmm. lap at McDonald's and, you know, like there was the popular narrative that grew up around it. But when you actually go in, like you, you read the facts of it, you're like, oh no, she absolutely had a case. Like she was horribly burned and, you know, McDonald's absolutely knew that this coffee was like yep. way too hot. And she wasn't asking, all she was asking for was her medical bills to be paid. And like, 
Um, like when you learn that and then you like, and then you start to wonder like, yeah, but then why did we tell, like, why as a culture did we accept this narrative that was like completely untrue about it? Cause it's not like the sort of thing where, you know, it's like one of these Mandela effect things where like, uh, you remember how Tom Cruise jumped on the couch to talk about Katie Holmes? Uh, actually that never actually happened. Go back and watch the footage. It's not really, it's not the way it didn't happen the way you remember. It's like, yeah, it's kind of inconsequential. Who knows? You know, yeah. but this is like. There was definitely like a big story that and and a like we all accepted a certain narrative around it, which was completely divorced from the facts. And it's like, yeah, but why? <laughs> like, yeah, the biggest thing that kind of blew my mind recently, which I'm sure any like person who studies political theory or law would probably know. And I didn't know what episode they were referencing, but they were talking about how one of their kind of running themes is, you know, just like obviously just like the shittiness of our criminal justice system. And but basically how because um, our the the British Commonwealth law system in places like the United States and Canada, Great Britain and Australia, South Africa, it's all based around litigation and how like that's how progress is made. Mm -hmm. Like we have a Supreme Court and we have like the way that new laws are kind of made is through litigation. It's not through like research and than regulation right like mm -hmm. and that just like it never really occurred to me and maybe i'm just like was dense about that but it really was just like whoa like i never thought about the reframing of ranging from like criminal justice issues up to just like actually just how we make laws in the country it's just like you're right and like how much that system favors greg your favorite word hierarchy or <laughs> power right yeah Money. because it, it it's like our whole system is basically about finding loopholes, right? Either yep. finding loopholes in laws that exist or potentially closing those loopholes. Although that's pretty rare because if you're in a position to close loopholes, you have probably benefited largely from loopholes. So why would you close them? Um, but uh, either finding loopholes or like finding places where two laws conflict and then making a persuasive argument to the judges that um, where the two laws conflict, it should come out in your favor, right? Because um, that's that's all the Supreme Court is, is it's basically saying law X conflicts with the master law, the Constitution. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, who wins? Um, but you're right. It fa absolutely favors hierarchy and favors the wealthy because those two things, finding and exploiting loopholes, expensive, and finding out where laws, two existing laws conflict, and then developing an argument uh, to support your benefit is also expensive, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing that I, you know, I've been thinking, you know, that's the thing is like any large corporation or wealthy politician or whoever individual can just wait you out because they have the time and the money. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're a group, a single or group of people who don't have that. Like the most recent episode I was listening to is about the Exxon Valdez oil spill. And it was just like, yeah, they just litigated until the other side just basically. I mean, it did, it did, that did go to the Supreme Court, but in the weirdest case I've ever heard about. But it's just like, yeah, they just kept appealing because they can. And eventually you just win. Because yeah. of that, like another episode, they talked about sexual harassment and how that came to be a thing and like, you know, Nita Hill and all these different things. And then they were like, the biggest thing you hear about, you hear about these cases, right? Like, you know, so and so employee, you know, sues 
a hold for, you know, sexual harassment violation gets awarded five million dollars. And they're like, most of those cases get appealed and end up getting either nothing or a pittance. Like, yeah, but people don't follow up, you know, which is kind of the point of podcast. Like people don't follow up on like what the actual end conclusion of of whatever given situation is. So, yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's a pretty solid podcast and it's been my more thinking one along with, you know, once again, Dungeon Daddies has been phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I've, I've been enjoying the hell out of that myself. So um, fucking funny. Yeah. Um, the most recent story arc is bonkers. I'm still on like episode 12. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, Greg. Jesus Christ. All right. Now I actually go back and revise my thing. Take all the lefty podcasts to listen to and replace it with Dungeons and Daddies exclusively. <laughs> um, yeah, but. Oh, sorry. But, but no. <laughs> but I don't want to. But maybe, great. maybe you need to. Why do I need to? <laughs> uh, because you need to give your brain a break before you break your brain. Ooh, oh, you like oh that one? wait, wait. You're talking about my brain breaking in the future tense? <laughs> my dude. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. Um, do you want to talk about some media, man? Um, yeah. I, I mean, sure. Let's try. All right. I gonna dovetail into the other thing we keep saying we're not going to talk about which is star wars i haven't watched season two of the mandalorian i know you haven't (laughs) so i'm not going to spoil it but greg i feel like i've said this before but it's really become apparent that i'm having a deep deep like identity crisis surrounding star wars uh tell me more so no spoilers but so far mandalorian season two is Somewhere between fine and good, much like the first season was. Um, the effects, the discrepancy in effects are bothering me a great deal. I realize that's part of the reason that I have trouble with the show is that half the show looks like it could be in any of the Star Wars movies and half the show looks like it could be a CW show at best. Huh. And that is breaking my immersion because I can do either. Right. I mean, I would pick I'm, a lane. <laughs> yeah, but just pick one. Can't do both. Um, like in the first episode of the second season, spoiler alert, there are Tuscan Raiders in it, and they look like really bad cosplay. How? I mean, the Tuscan, then, it's not like the Tuscan Raider costume in A New know. Hope was some masterpiece. And I can't even tell you why, but they just do. Huh. And, but then they sit next to the Mandalorian whose costume looks great. You know, it's like amazing. Uh, but anyway, so they're doing this thing that I always wanted Star Wars to do, right? Now they're, they're making a true interconnected expanded universe. There's characters from the book showing up. There's characters from the TV shows, which granted I haven't watched, but you know, they're, they're enmeshing it all together and making a, a fully fleshed out world. And a lot of people seem to be really excited about that. I haven't, you know, watched Clone Wars or Rebels. So some of it just falls on deaf, you know, deaf ears for me, deaf eyes, whatever. It's not a thing, but I respect it. I'm like, that's what I always wanted you to do. And like, well, maybe, maybe I still can get in on this. Maybe I can watch those shows and I can really just like enjoy the fact that they're finally like, yeah, let's throw. Yeah, we'll make Timothy Olyphant a character from the books and throw him in the show. And it's like, OK, sure. Why not? But it's breaking my heart. Why is that? Because you know how I feel about canon. Uh huh. And at the end of the day, all paths in Star Wars at this point lead to the sequel trilogy. <laughs> Oh, no. And I'll pass before that also lead to the prequels. Yeah, that's the problem. So you're bookended by two kind of garbo things. And also arguably, you know, I would assume at least for now, the most important things. 
So really all you're doing on the side is just having some fun Star Wars adventures on, the, on the, you know, on the way, which is fine. Yeah. But it's hard for me to want to get invested in care when all paths lead to Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. So what do I do? Um. So I, I, I actually started this thing. Uh, you might have heard of it. Um, it's called No Longer Giving a Fuck About Star Wars. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Um, it's fine. <laughs> like, but no, basically, I'm give, I've given up on the idea of caring about Star Wars as a, a, a larger work, right? Like being invested in Star Wars as a thing. Like there might be little bits of it that I find appealing, but that's the end of it. Just like I am not invested in Metallica the band, but Maybe I'll listen to Justice every once in a while, <laughs> but I don't want to think about Metallica. I don't want to think about the gap between Master of Puppets and insert other Metallica album. Chosen at random will be worse than Master of Puppets. Um, like, it's just let go of the franchise and just say like, yeah, Mandalorian is pretty good. It's fine. Um, the rest of it might be total garbo, but whatever. I don't know if my brain can do that, Greg. Liberate yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's my the current thing, Star Wars problem. All this franchise stuff, you know, like the more you care about the the umbrella, like that to me is wasted. It's a waste of your spirit. You know, the umbrella is is the capitalist superstructure of this thing. They want you to care about the franchise because caring about the franchise makes you buy more shit. Even if you don't really like that thing, but you want to have all of it, you know, you, you don't want the FOMO of, well, I'm not going to understand this. I'm, I'm not going to understand this Avengers movie. If I don't see Ant-Man six, guess I better go see Ant-Man six. Like that's what they want. They want you to care about the franchise as a, as an entity because they care about the franchise as an entity. But you're you can care about just the individual pieces. But I like caring about the franchise. Do you? Yeah. It's come on, Greg. Am I about to start a thirteen hundred page Sanderson book out of some, you know, yeah, manipulative the, capitalist plot? No. I like <laughs> big, complex, interconnected things. It's part of it's one and of like fun. my my like top, you know, like when investing in some piece of media, it's like, does it check this box? Doesn't but have you to just, this box, but it's the top one that I like. But you just have to give yourself permission to at any point be able to pull the ripcord and say, um, I'm going from caring about the band to caring about albums. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just give yourself that permission because once the franchise is giving you more stress than enjoyment, which is what Star Wars was doing for me, um, and even Star Trek now, because there's just too much shit to keep track of. It's stressing me out. So I'm like, fuck it. I don't care about star trek anymore i care about the next generation <laughs> um you know and you can pull the ripcord man you can you can just be like yeah i'm not really on board for the whole the big thing anymore you know yeah i mean i've done that like pragmatically speaking like i haven't read a single new star wars new eu star wars book I never I didn't go and watch Clone Wars or Rebels or whatever the Starfighter show was or, you know, I so I have, you know, in effect done that. I've only seen the movies that I thought I cared about and I'm watching the TV show that I find mostly enjoyable. But there's like a, a 
there's an urge and I don't feel like it's external. I feel like it's internal Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like the pressure of having to go figure this stuff out because you know what? Mandalorian's not really that deep. There's just a cute baby Yoda and they go around and shoot stuff and it's pretty much fine. It's not like they're teasing and connecting is being, it's not like it's, it doesn't come across to me like, oh, well, this would be a lot cooler for you if you only you knew this. I don't know, man. You were saying that it's that watching this show is making you think about that other stuff. I know, but I feel like it comes from the inside, not the yeah, inside. Well, maybe I've just internalized it so bad, but. That maybe you have. <laughs> uh, and we are a product of our upbringing. Of our material conditions. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, um, as I have just railed against the idea of like. You don't have to do the whole thing, man. You can just do the parts you like. Uh, This is literally coming from the person who just finished, like, binge reading all of the Attack on Titan manga and just started the anime, which is just the manga, but it moves. (laughs) Like, yeah, tell me the same story again so I can find where it's different because I care about that for some reason. Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. So I don't I mean, I'm not I'm not being critical. Like, yeah, yeah, I clearly have the same brainwashing as you. Yes, <laughs> like, I'll um, gladly invest another 40 hours in this same thing. Yeah. Speaking of Attack on Titan, I yeah, also started do, watching it. Do that forever. I I had watched the first season probably eight, seven, eight years ago when it first, I think, came out on, you know, and had a sub mm-hmm. and sorry, a dub. And I watched it and I was like, it was the first anime I had watched since, like, I was, like, probably, like, an early teenager and watched, you know, Dragon Ball Z and, you know, whatever Yu-Gi-Oh! and whatever other things I was watching as, like, a kid. And I was like, oh, anime doesn't have to be stupid. I get it. <laughs> so I've always had that in, like, and people's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm like, oh, anime's not really my thing. But, like, but like I know there is anime that could be my thing and is my thing sometimes. Like, Evangelion is your thing now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, unfortunately, now, whenever I fucking watch anime, I'm just like, I have the superstructure of Evangelion, like, on my head. I'm just like, oh, oh, Aaron's dad is definitely getting to a situation. Oh, he's got a mysterious kind of sister, kind of maybe love interest. I, I don't like this. It's going the same way. <laughs> yes, um, my mission is complete. It's like, <laughs> God damn it. I am, you now view everything through the lens of Evangelion. Um, however, I, I have I have rewired <laughs> your brain. No, maybe I'm just really susceptible to brain rewiring. Uh, that's also a scary thought. But anyway, so I spent the weekend being manly and building shells or something. Mm-hmm. As I sent you, I saw um, the picture. I can confirm this. Yeah. Um, I decided to spend a skill point. One of the jokes among my team is that, you know, we all obviously we all have our, you know, our D&D classes and how what our alignments are in real life and these kind of things. And obviously I'm a wizard because I study everything and research everything and one of the things that wizards get in Dungeons and Dragons is they get a ton of skill points to spend to do and learn things right um to pick up you know miscellaneous skills and one of the jokes is that like I have a ton but I don't spend them on anything because I'm not actually that good at most things <laughs> so I just have like a, a bucket of like 30 or 40 skill points just waiting to be spent every once in a while I'll be like I'm gonna drop one here and this weekend I was like I'm gonna drop one in making stuff and it went okay but anyway I was very tired but didn't you know, you get that you're tired, but you don't want to just go to bed kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to watch like eight episodes of Attack on Titan last night, which is eight. what I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know how anime in general and particularly Attack on Titan does a thing where it's just like, 
you really want to watch the next one, don't you? Because we ended on a really fucking crazy cliffhanger yep. every episode, despite the episodes only being like 17 minutes long. So I watched like eight episodes of Attack on Titan last night. Yeah, we might be at the same point in the anime then. Um, because that's about about where I'm at. Um, I'm like wrapping up the Battle of Trost. But uh, yeah, I don't know what it, it's been. One of those things that was just kind of like on my just kind of like, hey, maybe I'll check this out someday, kind of thing. And I don't know what it was, but I was just like, I don't know why I decided that you know, like last weekend or whenever was the time for me to check out Attack on Titan. Um, that how it fast was. you read the you read the manga in that fast? Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I burned through it pretty quick. Um, so I guess you I read comics way too fast because I, I don't I've noticed other people read comics more slowly than I do because I think they're taking more time to like take in the art in each panel. Mm, I'm the but, same way. I'm the same way. I read them like a book and it's just like, oh, that was fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I realize that is to my uh, to my detriment because, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just I like I'm reading the words, but I'm just kind of like passively taking in the pictures mm-hmm. i'm like oh that's you're clearly missing half the content there it's yeah. like listening to movies but I'm the same um way. uh but yeah no i i burned through it but it's and part of that is because and i'm gonna do my best to not spoil anything here because um this particular thing is does such an amazing job of continually pulling the rug out from under you um in ways that like every time you think you understand what's going on and like what the world this is taking place in every time you 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 think you've got your your arms around it it switches on you and it switches on you in a way where um because a lot of like a lot of stuff that is like real like plot twist heavy like a lot of times you feel like they're just doing a plot twist because they wrote themselves into a corner and just need to get out of it um this definitely feels like oh no this was all planned out from the beginning and he's just uh the author whose name escapes me um he's just gradually revealing more and more of the world and the history to you at opportune moments right not that he is like ah shit how's the gang gonna get out of this one I know, I'll invent a new secret power that this one character just figured out they had. You know, like, it's not that. Um, so when I say it's full of, like, twists and turns, um, uh, it's really, um, it, 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 it's in a very, like, you feel like you are in control and that there's someone behind the driver's seat and they know where this is going, um, which is great. But also, the plot twisty nature of it um, not even plot twist. What do you call it when it's just like there's just like, you know, a new revelation that upsets, you know, whatever. Um, uh, that is thematically aligned with the story itself, um, because a huge theme um, of the of the overall work is what information is kept from people, uh, what information is given to people how that is used to control them, um, how that is used to, you know, for, for people's gain, um, you know, um, the reality that you get people to accept and what power that gives you over them. Like that's a, that's a, those are very big parts of the overall themes and the way that, you know, that you as the reader are gradually exposed to new realities, um, throughout, like it, it matches with that thematic element. So it's, 
very well done in that regard. It's not just twists for the sake of twists or, you know, a plot twist at the end of every episode to get you to the next one. It's like, oh, that's part of what they're getting at here. Um, Mm. uh, And um, it's just very good. Um, In in, there's very few things I can point to it and be like, "Eh, that's kind of dumb. Um, But the way that it, it shifts from one kind of story to another, to another, to another, in a way that feels very natural and aligns with the thematic progression is dang. <laughs> That's like a really cool thought and I'm, I'm like a really cool premise and I'm excited to continue to explore that. And I hope that the show, you know, follows, you know, what, what if the manga is successful in your eyes, I hope the show can follow it successfully as well. So far, I mean, um, it the so far and again the so the the manga is in like they're you know probably only a handful of issues away from the end and the author has confirmed like yeah we're getting there like we're 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 in end game now um and uh and the fourth season of the show and the final season of the show starts i think in december or january or something like that so we're getting close to the end um but so far, I mean, I'm only in season one of the show. I would say at this point that you could really just pick your poison. Like, do you prefer anime or do you prefer manga and just go that route? Because it really seems like they're pretty much the same. Like there's very only as far as I can tell, very minor changes um, for, you know, certain storytelling conveniences or, you know, I feel like maybe some of the characters are getting introduced a little earlier in the anime, you know, in the same way that Game of Thrones kind yeah. of, you know, well, we maybe combined a couple characters from the book here, or maybe this guy comes in a little early, that kind of thing. But the mm-hmm. overall, like it's beat for beat, really. Yeah. I mean, I, what I like about it a lot is, you know, it doesn't have a lot of the tropey anime things, at least currently, you know, the teardrops and the people falling over and the yeah. blood coming out of their nose and whatever else. It's like it's pretty like, quote unquote, realistic in the way that I mean the Titans are so fucking weird. Like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's gross, but it's like, you can't look away. It's brutal in a way that like, is a little bit like grim dark, but also just like, no, I mean, like this is what would happen. Like, I mean, if fucking giant, weird, genderless, you know, Goliaths were running around just eating people. Um, and like the way they move and stuff is just, Oh, it's just so facial expressions. It's just, it's designed to creep you the fuck out. Remember yeah. when I first watched it, I would have like nightmares actually about Titans. And yeah. Those were not fun for the record. <laughs> um, you know, and like, but like, I like the combination of like, you know, some, some animation does this well and some does it not so well, but like they do really job of like combining three different styles of like, you know, the anime, whatever you call that, you know, a style of animation plus like the very kind of ornate background. Mm hmm animation or like almost just real just drawings and then like the mix of like cgi and perspective stuff in a way that like i really enjoy because it feels very immersive yeah the um and and the the um the manga or the the anime does a really good job of like you say with like the use of cg and and the the quote-unquote camera moving around especially in the action sequences does a really good job of communicating the like the physical space of the mm-hmm. cities that they're fighting in and the size of the Titans and um, 
and all of that in a really like it's still like a lot of fun to watch and like a lot of super stylized action that isn't you know i mean it's anime as fuck but um uh, but without feeling too like lightweight and cartoony mm-hmm. um uh it yeah it, it it's really good um and the grimness it starts out a little bit like in the first couple episodes you kind of feel like oh maybe this is just like Oh, it's these plucky teenagers are going to train real hard and learn how to fight these monsters. And I'm sure they're going to fall in love along the way. And there's going to be misunderstandings and maybe a tournament at some point. (laughs) Um, But like very quickly, (laughs) very quickly, they kill the fuck out of Ned Stark. Yeah. (laughs) To borrow a reference. And you're like, oh, this is not this is going to be different, isn't it? And like when like they traumatize a character, that character stays traumatized. Yeah. Like characters change and they don't like, and they're they not do just not these like, <laughs> like these like rubber bands of just or rubber balls of just like, Oh, they push them and they just pop back into place. It's like, no, that's just a different person now because they just witnessed something horrific yeah. and, or they had something horrific happen to them or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I really like it and I'm definitely like, wanting to watch more it does you know it does a very good job just like a lot of cliffhangers a lot of like what's happening next one thing i really find funny about anime and i know it's like an anime thing but it also feels like very much like a video game thing to me just from my cultural context is just like just like the way they talk about things or the way they display like some of the info dumping they do and some of like the I don't know what you call them, like loading screens. Yeah. Loading, but, you know, that's what I would call them. Like they're like loading screens. I'm like, this is how this thing works. This is the history of this. This is how big the city is, blah, blah, blah. And then, but also just like the way they refer to things, like they ha- have class names for every Titan and like, oh, it's an armored class. And it's, it's like, it's not Pokemon. These things are like trying to murder you. Like, I don't know if you refer to it, so, but like it makes sense in a way because they're like trying to be scientific about some of this stuff, but it's just like, it's just funny the way it comes across sometimes. And that that actually is interesting because it, it it's very clear earlier in the in the manga like it, there's a little bit more effort put into like some of that stuff and like all these different classes of titan but like there's really like they just class them by like how tall they are right and they talk about that a lot in the early uh, issues, but eventually they just kind of get over that because it's like, who the hell cares? <laughs> what are right. we talking about here? It's a 15 meter uh, class Titan. Right. So, like, okay. Uh, OK, it's a big one. It's a little um, one. I get it. <laughs> but the th- like the armored Titan and the um, the colossal Titan, the ones that we've yeah. seen so far in the in the anime, like those are unique. Right. 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 Like the the other ones, just like the big sloppy naked smiley ones um they give me shoulders every time i fucking look at them (laughs) yeah but the other two are like um (laughs) like legendary bosses kind of yeah but and like i totally yeah i get that but it's like the way they talk about it right like they don't call it like they don't say like what was that you know crazy we've never seen a titan like it's just like it's the colossal titan right they instantly (laughs) have a name for it yeah Yeah. it's like all taxonomical and stuff and it just just makes me laugh yes it's just very anime in a different way but yeah in a way that i kind of like especially because it's like um and at least in i I think in the in the manga it, it feels like a little bit like by the time people start calling these these titans by their like names like in the manga you get a little bit more sense that some time has passed so like, OK, so maybe by this point, people have like come to refer like there, there's just been a consensus of like what the hell we're going to call that thing that we saw that one time, you know? Yeah. Um, but the in the anime, I will say that the passage of time isn't always as clear. 
Yeah, like there's a lot of time jumps in the first like five episodes. Right. It's like it's been uh, three years now. It's been five years now. It's been two years. And it's like, OK, all right. Slow down. Yeah. I mean, um, I appreciate it because I don't really need like 20 episodes of training montages. So I yeah, no, thank good God. to be good past that. But um, which isn't a very anime thing to do. But um, one other thing I find really interesting, and I'd be curious just to like read more about it once it's all done or if there is sort of like a larger point. But like I find it very interesting that the you know, because most anime is like either fantasy bullshit or like takes place in japan Uh usually and like the fact that this show very specifically goes out of its way to be like a pseudo european Uh setting and how you know this is i guess i'll say one character is specifically referred to as asian as asian and no one else is Uh uh-huh and has an asian name and everyone has like their names like robert and whatever and like you know um I just find that like and like, you know, just the setting, like the city itself is like a very like late medieval, you know, maybe early Reformation Renaissance uh-huh. kind of style. And it's like that's just really a weird, a cool and interesting choice. And uh-huh. I just, okay. yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? All right. Well, <laughs> it, it's kind of strange. Yeah. Kind of wondering where this is happening and when, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are big questions. Uh-huh. Um, see, I, this is how things hope we make. So I got to fucking know. But yeah. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So if people are interested, it's on before Greg bursts at the seams and spoils anything. Um, it's available on Hulu uh, yep. if you want to watch it all three seasons, I guess. And I guess the new season is coming out. The last season is coming out fairly soon, like you said. Yeah. And the first like three quarters of the of the manga as it exists today are all um, available on Comixology as part of just like the base Comixology plan. Um that's where I read most of them. And then the rest of them somehow got on my hard drive from a source that I did not pay for. And I have no idea how that happened. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it just happens. Weird things show up. You got hacked. Just you know. I did. I, I, I got hacked by uh, by Antifa and they put <laughs> some dot CBZ files on my on my on my good American hard drive. And I had no choice but to load them into a comic book reader and read them. Yeah, I mean, you had to, to make sure there was nothing incriminating in there to, you know, find that you could report. Yes, exactly. Um, I was looking through these comics for evidence of what scoundrel tried to frame me by putting them on my hard drive for man, free. You just made me realize I haven't actually like read a comic in like years because when I was in college and like grad school and stuff, I would like. Just, you know, once again, get hacked and like <laughs> have all of the X-Men on my and just sit down and just like start crushing through random things or like all of Civil War or all of Secret Invasion or whatever. And like just dot CBZ and just, you know, just to make sure that there is nothing incriminating in there and did that for many, many hours, you know, just to be safe, just to be sure. But yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this more in the future, but um, maybe we'll even just do a whole episode on it or something once I there's probably a lot to discuss as, as the story goes on. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, I, I really, it's so good. I think I'm going to pair the grimness of that with uh, Get Back Into My Hero a little bit was for some, yeah, you know, light, enjoyable fun. They're kind I, of like diametrically opposed in some ways. They really are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like in the way that Attack on Titan tries to like deconstruct everything that My Hero Academia is. Um but my, my hero is still excellent. Um, yeah. yeah, I need to catch back up with it. I think that I have to check back in and see where Hulu is. Like um, if they've got dubs up for the more recent episodes uh, or if it's still just subs only because I don't have the uh, wherewithal for subs only. 
I apologize to everyone who's cooler than me. Yeah, I, I try, but I just I just want to look at the art. Like I was I was doing Attack on Titan with subs, and I was just like, I can't see. Like I want to see what's going on, and they they do a lot of talking in that show very quickly sometimes. And I'm just like, yeah. I need to read this stuff because it's important to the lore and whatever. But yeah, so. I guess I'm not a purist, but whatever. No, no, you, 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 you'll never be a true weeb. Uh, okay. Well, I guess I accept that fate. Um, speaking of things that where you like consumed it one way and then needed to consume it the other way just to, you know, be a nerd is, you know, Are you, you going to talk about the Mountain Dew cookbook. Yeah, no, I'm going to talk about that. Um, you know, I haven't mentioned in the podcast before. It's the sh- show you might have heard of. It's called The Expanse. <laughs> and um, I, Look, I got to say, <laughs> I, I got to say, wh- whoever is paying you <laughs> to get me to watch The Expanse, I don't think the ROI is going to work out. <laughs> this has been a long con. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say you need to watch it anymore. I've, I've said my piece. I assume you'll get to it someday because you love me. Um, that was that was what the instruction was in the last payment. It said use the guilt trip. So that's what was my <laughs> attempt. Uh, um, but I finished the books. That was my update. Um, I finished the eighth book, which is the second to last book. And there should be a novella and then the final books coming out in the first half of next year because some people actually write want to finish their series. Um, and these are both people who learned under George R. R. Martin and were like his copy editors or something. Yes. And, and you know. wrote an entire series <laughs> before he, yeah, in the, the time in, in, the, in the gap between him getting the last book and this book done, they wrote an entire series. Yeah. And a series that is truly awesome. Uh, so how many books is it? It's, it'll be nine books. And then there's some like fairly optional, like little some novellas or short stories in do. the middle. Are um, they are they are they short reads or is this like Sanderson stuff? They're all around five hundred pages. All right, Maybe and they they re- the read pretty quickly in my opinion. Um, they kept a pretty good like they didn't bloat. I feel like every story, every book has a slightly different point of view structure, which is really interesting, which I think keeps it fresh and unique. Um, the most you know, the second to last book. Um, it was weirdly enough like you know whatever for whatever good reads reviews are worth like it was the highest reviewed you know book which is compelling for me you know usually as a series goes on you kind of lose people you know um and for good reason oftentimes but yeah it was really good and really interesting and there's just like a lot of it does a really good job of combining sort of like high thought science fiction with pulpy science fiction slash space opera with good just like character driven storytelling Mm -hmm. and but i have to have a big complaint now Uh uh-oh it broke my brain it broke my ability to watch anything space related because it takes or read anything space related because it took such caution to be quote unquote, you know, accurate that it's just like, oh, I didn't think about like physics ever when I watched Star Wars or when I watched anything else. And now it's just like, and now I do every time. <laughs> and it's like, that wouldn't work. You'd all be squished to pieces like uh, just stuff like that. And because it's just so like, I mean, a lot of the almost like you read the you read all the Hyperion books, right? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) There's kind of a plot point in the later books that kind of uses like, you know, how interstellar travel works and what you can do with it and all these different things and what going really fast does to a human body. Right. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just so it's kind of like, um, you know, how like, you know, 
when Game of Thrones was like still a good TV show and things like distance and how people traveled and where people were in relation to each other matters. Mm -hmm. Like that's of basically utmost importance, the entire story of the expanse, Mm. because you can only go so fast and space is really fucking big. And because of that, like that has major impacts on the plot and how people do things and how people react to things and like the options they have. And, um, also sort of like the skills people have, right? Like pilots, you know, they, yeah, they use the joystick sometime and move the ship around, but like, they're more just like mathematicians. They're just like, well, I have to plot this course. We're going to try and use Jupiter's gravity to do this and like use the computers to help. You know, it's like, it's, it just feels so lived in, in a really good way. That's I, well, as, as you were telling me this, I, I went to, um, I went to amazon.com and I, I, I added the, the first book in the series to my, um, to my Amazon.com book reader device. You did it. I'm so, proud of you. Um, so check back in a year and I'll tell you how the first chapter went. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, and I think that, I think I know, I think it was announced last time we recorded. I could be wrong. Well, I'm just going to, if I let now, if I said it about last time, then forgive me. I'll say it again that they originally had said the fifth season of the show was delayed until 2021 because of COVID. Yeah, no, nothing. Nothing's coming out. We're not getting anything new. They fucking lied. It's coming out in a month. <laughs> what do they shoot it in their basement? It was already shot. It was just oh, the effects. Okay. Um, they actually finished filming before everything went, went dark. But um, they just kind of said like, yeah, it's probably not going to come out. And they're like, psych. And like the fifth book, which is the fifth season, is my favorite book. And I'm very excited uh so i'll be doing that in december although they decided to revert back to releasing things weekly which is good and probably better i think says the more academics on my brain but the kid inside is just like i want it i want it i want it it's just like i just want to binge watch it over christmas break but it'll be better in the long run i think speaking of that i'm my segues are on point tonight yeah uh there was another show that got review bombed because it was released in a mostly weekly fashion. I think we both watched it. Uh, my 12th watch through of 30 Rock reruns? No. The Boys. Season oh, 2. Oh, The Boys. Yeah, we did. Uh, I watched The Boys. I, I got my shit together and watched a show. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think of said show? Um, I thought I thought it was really good. Um, I think that. I mean, my 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 opinion of season one, which was it has surpassed the source material, uh, continued to be true. Um, I kind of feel like I think the overall like themes and premises of the show were a little bit subdued more than I would like, because I think they were trying to do more to grow the world and um, uh, and, and set up some new conflicts. So I think that some of the more like thematic stuff took a backseat to that, but just a really well done show. I mean, just a a ton of fun to watch. Um, And, you know, um, you don't quite know where it's going. You don't quite know what's going to happen next. Great job of mixing like the action and the comedy, um, but still having some fairly interesting and and insightful things to say. Um, um, I, I mean... Aya Cash is Stormfront. Excellent. Excellent job. Yeah. Um, I was skeptical because I'd only ever seen her in uh, You're the Worst and eh, it's, it's fine. But um, man, like 
such a great job of and, and just like a lot of the you know and just like the the uh actor who plays homelander like such a great job of walking the line between apps between being completely despicable but utterly magnetic you know yeah like like sh- she's such a monster but every time she's on screen i'm like there she is <laughs> yeah i mean the 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 casting and the use of the cast in the show, I think, is really, really great. I mean, there's no scene where you're like, maybe outside of like, just because I don't really know where they're going with it, the stuff with uh, the deep. I'm just like, I don't know what we're doing here. But yeah, um, I kind of wanted more out of that in this season. I mean, there's some there's some funny bits, but like, you know, he can only be a gag for so long before it becomes whatever. But but generally, it's just like, yeah, like I just want to see these people on screen doing what they're doing. They just found really good voices for each Good casting and then good voices to represent the characters they have. Uh, also, Patton Oswalt as the voice of his gills. Yes. Genius. Genius. <laughs> so genius. Um, I really liked um I you know, I, I liked I liked Butcher's character this season a lot. Yeah. Because I felt like he's a tough character to portray because he very quickly just becomes like a tropey anti-hero. Yep. Or no longer becomes it's just like a tropey like kind of was an anti-hero but now it's just like a hero with an edge like his reaction to learning about the kid and like that whole thing was just like it was very just like yeah i mean he kind of doesn't give a shit like and it's kind of like it's brutal but it's like it's very real i feel um i i'm curious about your picture because you've read some of the comics right yeah i read that you know and we don't want to go too deep into spoilers but just that um they kind of end the second season sort of almost like at a spot that's a little more like where the comics kind of is most of the time where like they're a team that's like paid for and sponsored by the government and yeah, whatever. Now, I know in the comics, I think most of them use, you know, via some point to get superpowers or have them sometimes or something. But um, I just read a lot of people like, oh, we're kind of like, even though they did some of the plot lines from the comics, we're kind of starting new with this sort of like more of a status quo of like who the boys are as opposed to who's they were. And now they're on the run from everybody. Yeah, where they have they have some level of like, you know, like shadowy government uh, oversight. Um, yeah, I, I, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, a big part of the. I mean, the driving force is in the comics is a lot of ways, you know, butchers, um, you know, revenge quest. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what's motivating him. Um, but I mean, I think that, you know, this a big part of this season was about, you know, bigotry and you know, forcing you to start to think about Butcher as a a bigot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, forcing you to confront like, well, I do sympathize with him because these guys are kind of monsters, but they kind of become monsters. Are all of them monsters or is it the world that is turning them into monsters? Um, like they do a pretty good job with that. And by you know forcing you know butcher to be the the vehicle of that you know it's it's a good you know it's good <laughs> it's well done um um the comic does not really address that at all um in any meaningful way i mean i, I i've i've said a lot about how the comic just doesn't really have much to say beyond um shock value and gross out value um and just like the initial idea of like, yeah, hey, anybody with this much power would probably turn into an asshole. Um, it's like, yeah, OK, 
and <laughs> um, and the show is doing an excellent job with filling in the and of all of that. Um, and you even see like, well, Butcher has been given a certain amount of power because he's been given a certain amount of impunity by his on again, off again role as like, you know, government wet works guy or whatever. Right. And that power, even that power has corrupted him to a degree. Um, and then you see, you know, Huey and Starlight have to make some tough choices and, you know, maybe you see a little bit of that like corruption coming in of like, you know, even if it's not superpowers, maybe just power at all. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's been, uh, it's just a good show. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. I, you know, I said, I mean, maybe like, like you said, I think maybe some of like, maybe not quite as tight as the first season as far as just like a through line that like really, you know, drives home a single point. But I also think that, you know, it can't just be a one, you know, that's why it has to move on from the comics and develop more complexity because you can't just have like one guy's revenge story, which is kind of, it's not over necessarily, but it's also like, it's not resolved, but you know, it's not like it was in the comics, right? Where it's just like, she got fridge and he hates him for it, you know? And I, I do think those like, man, the guy, was it who was he plays Homelander? Anthony Star? Star? Yeah, Anthony Star. He does such a fucking good job of playing that character where you just like he's terrifying, but like weirdly, like you feel a little bit of empathy for for a character that doesn't have any empathy. And it's just a weird kind of like I don't know. It just well, really, really uh, nailed that, it. That scene with uh with the flowers for Stormfront, mm-hmm. man, that was like you know, like it, it, it does such a good job of like painting him as this like incredibly broken and confused person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, this guy never had a chance to be normal. Mm-mm. You know, th- th- this is, you know, he's an absolute monster, but also like his entire conception of the world is so warped. Like uh, it, it's a they're doing a good job of like solving that problem of like how do you make supervillains believable you know Mm -hmm. like especially ones that are like sadistic you know in a certain level um and like when you see and when you see the way he treats the kid and like he's so frustrated because you know he clearly sees like his his anti-human normal you know, bigotry is so clear. Like he just is like, there's no way my son is a normal, you know, Mm -hmm. like how could this, you know, um, and you, you understand it more, you know, like, like, cause you, you know, like X-Men has never done a great job of like making Magneto's like master race stuff at all. Like understandable. Yeah. You know, it's just more like a, like a, huh, pretty, pretty ironic, huh? That he was like victimized by the Nazis, but no, he's he's the master race, right? Right. But like here, you're like, oh, I I I get it. Like I can imagine how if you have grown up with these incredible powers, um, how that would, yeah, you would think of yourself as the master race. You kind of are, <laughs> <laughs> like, right? Well, yeah, that's sort of like the, you know, that's like I think the one way where I'm not saying its execution was great, but like Ultimate Magneto was like, there's no like. Oh, he's just being Magneto over there again. It's like, no, he's a bad guy. He committed genocide because he truly thinks that like humans are inferior. And this is the, and like he experienced this trauma and he's just reenacting that trauma in a different direction. And that's how that works. Right. Um, 
But I will say that one of the things the boys does, and this was in the comic, but it's also, I think, like um, an important distinction is that in the world of the boys, everybody gets their powers from Compound V. Right. Um, as opposed to X-Men, where you are essentially born with them. Right. So when you look at the boys and you're like, yeah, the soups, the soups are they are the master race. They have fucking powers, man. Right. But it's not it's not essentialist. Right. It's not like, oh, well, certain people have the good genes that turn them into the master race. And then the rest of us do not, um, which I always get a little bit worried about when I see in, you know, a lot of fiction relies on it. And we've talked about it before, but like that thing of like, oh, yeah, no, some people just have magic blood and it makes them better. Um, you know, they've got the midichlorians, so they get to be Jedi versus, you know, which is like, well, just because you made up your space racism doesn't make it not racism, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Say, so, oh, no, in our world, nobody's got magic blood that turns them into the master race. But I'm going to invent one where people do <laughs> like, um, yeah, just wanted to point that out. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a little bit in relation to another segue of the night. Uh, a little thing called Stormlight Archives. Ah, geez. Because <laughs> um, today, Greg, new book came out. Rhythm of War, book four. Today, tomorrow. Has, has he has he reached the event? Has he reached the Brandon Sanderson event horizon where he releases the uh, the infinite book? Because I feel like <laughs> everyone gets longer exponentially at some point. It's just yeah. going to be, you know, he's writing the pages as as you read them. I mean, it almost feels that way because he just keeps releasing stuff like as he does it sometimes like he you could like listen to the first 15 chapters of Rhythmore on YouTube now because why not? Um, he we talked a lot about last time about his, you know, having more money than God now because nerds. Yes. And <laughs> um, so Don Shard, which is the novella, he's kind of like he has a pattern now of trying to write a Stormlight novella in between the books because I don't know why he's a madman because like he says, like I can only write so much stormlight in my life. Why don't I go ahead and add more to it for some reason? Um, so that came out a couple weeks ago. It's a novella that takes place between book three and four. Um, really interesting book. I'm, you know, about three quarters way through once again, quote unquote novella. Greg, how long is a novella in your eyes? Uh, I don't know. Like, like, like hundred pages. <laughs> yeah. This is like 230 of course pages. It is. And it's like, that's the length of a normal book, dude. Like, <laughs> um, anyway, but, and he even said, he's like, mm, I, I want to look over on this one, but I just got really into it. It's like, all right, I'm going to read it. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking a little bit and there's still, it's a little unclear if like there's magic blood of some kind, but the way that, you know, you read enough of Stormlight to kind of know how they get their powers is they like, they make these bonds with these like. I don't know. They're called spren, but I don't I can't think of a good like analogy like fairies, fairies fairy kind of things, yeah. invisible, somewhat nature, pieces of nature, whatever yeah, that represent different elements, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And different thoughts. And some are intelligent and some aren't and whatever. But I think that's like kind of a, and like you have to go through these like to get your powers you to kind of like commit to these different orders. And and, you know, one of the big things that he always says that. And he's, you know, there's some magic blood stuff in Mistborn and whatever, but it's always more than that, right? You don't just like get it and do it. You have to, one of the big things about his magic system is that you have to be, you have to break yourself in some way. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's like emotional or spiritual. Like you have to kind of break, you know, yourself to, to access this, well, you know, whatever powers. And I think that's an interesting 
concept. But also, the magic blood in Mistborn, though, like, they do trace that back to, um, like, didn't the Lord Ruler, like, start the whole magic blood thing at some point as a as part of his grand design? Um, I think he manipulated. I'm not sure if he started it, but right. But there was some. But but it wasn't like it's not. It was a. You can trace it back to. Um, somebody made a conscious choice to create the magic blood, as opposed to this is um, you know, divine and and you know, supernatural, right, or random, right. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I forget, but because yeah. I do think, yeah, I think part of it was like he he needed a like it was a ruling class thing, and I don't recall. Yeah, but but yeah, I also think like having to make a relationship with something to gain, you know, yeah, power is kind of interesting. And then that gives, and then that creates a you know a little side character that they can you know a little familiar yeah. tag along that they can have witty conversations with. And that's probably like, the best way to actually frame it as like as a familiar, but you know. They're like a very, you know, that those people like the spread for like whatever they're called, like they're a lot more than that. They're not just like the anime floating cat. Right. Um, they're deep significance to the world. Uh, and stuff. I, I think the, it's interesting. The, the, the gap between Sanderson and anime seems to be closing by the day. Well, he will readily admit that. And I will, <laughs> I will say that I'm hitting that point now in. So Wheel of Time is big and expansive, and so is Game of Thrones in a lot of different ways. And it adds characters as it goes and gets bigger and bigger and a little bloated. But one thing I'm a little worried about with the way Stormlight Archive is going and like, you know, no spoilers, but just like he just keeps adding like whole new like, you know, you kind of think you have an idea of like even if you have like a a good if you're like a Cosmere nerd like I am you're like I kind of get where this is going I get how it fits in the bigger picture blah 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 and you're like here's all this other crazy shit and you're like oh okay well that's a whole another layer I didn't consider before and it's like oh actually here's a bunch more crazy new kinds of characters and species and whatever it's like all right man like we're on book four granted it's only a 10 but like you kind of said that they're kind of like two series like what are, why are you adding more stuff now I, I don't know it's it's I'm a little nervous about that piece, but it's still really good and I'm really enjoying reading it, obviously. And I'll be reading this book for quite some time, probably, because I think Rhythm of War clocks in at like thirteen hundred pages. Good God. It's a lot of pages. Good God. Um But yeah, that's too so many pages. <laughs> it's a lot of pages. It's a lot of pages. Uh so yeah, that's out if you know, if you're so inclined, which Greg no longer is. I've, 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 I have opted out of Stormlight. It is too much for That's me. That's fine. However, you'll be happy to know that he said now that this book is done, he can go do the last Wax and Wayne book. Which I will tolerate. I, I, I don't love that timeline in the Mistborn world. Mm, I like um, it. It's fine, but um, the first three Mistborn books were, I think, superior. But Interesting. Okay. Um, but I understand we, why we you both say read that. The Abercrombie, right? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Which was... A Little Hatred. A Little Hatred. That's right. right? Um, what was the first one called? The Trouble with Peace? Yes. Yeah. Are we reversing these? No, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I liked it. It was a quick... Um, it was a quick... It was an easy read. Um, this one was The Trouble with Peace, for the record. Okay. Okay. Um, I do feel like there are... I feel like these last two... They've been an enjoyable read. I really like all the new characters, although I there were times when I felt like I had to consult genealogy charts, which I <laughs> don't like to have to do. And that never, you know, and that seems like a somewhat un Joe Abercrombie thing to demand of me. Um, but uh, 
This trilogy feels a little more aimless. I don't know. Aimless how? I just, I don't, it's tough for me to see like where this is going, you know, whereas, and I guess spoilers for the first trilogy here, um, you know, it, it really seemed like the the first trilogy added up to in a lot of ways. You see the characters you like being, you know, running around having their adventures in what turns out is a grand manipulation by Baez to have his big showdown with um, uh, the prophet. And, you know, so it's got these themes of like, eh, you think you're in charge, but you're not. And, you know, you're just being manipulated by somebody else's long term grudge or, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it felt like it was all leading up to the, you know, OK, we got to see what Baez is doing here. Baez is clearly moving pieces around to his own ends. And what are they? Um, and meanwhile, our more central characters have to resolve their own little storylines within that. That works for me. I don't know what the overarching narrative of this new one is. Gotcha. And maybe that's on me, but I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I think the overarching narrative is going to be that, and this is postulation, and I don't want to get too in details, but I think that one of the, there's something about, there's something in here about idealism, right? And like being a good person and what that means, of which none of the characters in the first series were. But many of the characters in this series, despite all having very human flaws, most of them are like decent in a way that Logan Ninefingers or Pharaoh or Jezal were not. Sure. Or they have a part of them and is trying to be decent, right? And it doesn't keep that, you know, you look at Orso is trying to be a good king. Yeah, he's an addict and a drunk and an idiot and a womanizer and whatever else, but he wanted to be good. He wants to be good. Riker, like, or Ricky or whatever, how Ricky, I guess they pronounce it. I don't know. The Um, the audiobook says Ricka. Ricka? Okay. Um, There's weird competing, just like how to pronounce her name. In in the books itself, they seem like, they like say like their rhymes with this. I'm like, wait, what? Um, Ricka is also like, generally seems like she wants to be a good person in the way that most books assume most people want to be good people, even if they aren't. And Leo is very much a person who wants to think he's doing like the honorable, gallant, good thing. Not some of the other characters like Vic and, you know, even her own way, like she says there is no good. I'm just going to do this, which is not that different from Broad, which is and then Sabine kind of falls somewhere in between. Right. She kind of does some good things and she kind of does some bad things. And, you know, I think that what he's going for is a is like he's kind of anti crabbing, anti Abercrombie himself a little bit by maybe trying to show that I think that this group of heavy air quote heroes might actually destabilize Baez enough. Well, to have an impact. We can see that Leo you know, he he's he he is someone who is was so thoroughly brainwashed. Well, brainwashed is maybe too strong, but like thoroughly bought into like ideas of like heroism and, um, uh, you know, gallantry and, 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 and the glory of battle and all those things that he was basically, at least in my reading, manipulated into reading, leading a rebellion that he didn't quite believe in. But 
you know, because he was such a good soldier, he kind of went along with it. Uh, and it did not turn out well for him. <laughs> well, I think that the, I mean, one side note is one thing Abercrombie has done really well is he writes stupid characters really well. Oh, he, oh, he is so good at a dumb guy. <laughs> like Leo's just so dumb and you just like, you can see the gears turning, but they're turning too slowly and in the wrong direction. You're like, dude, come on, man. But like you see the logic and you're like, your logic is so full of holes. What are you thinking? And then it's just like, well, yep, this is happening now. Yeah. Um, and then you have someone like Sabine, who's like too kind of like somewhat too smart for Onga, but like too uh, just like everyone's character flaws are very obvious to us, but not obvious to them. And that's like yes. a good way to write it, I think. Yes. Um, Orso seems to be on track to like because his although the, the ending, it's a little unclear about how that's going to go, because he's kind of on track where his like his kind of anger at the way that things turned out with Savine um, might be leading him to abuse his power as king, right? Yeah. And start to use, you know, start to use this power of the of the throne for his own very petty um, ends, which is, you know, similar to Baez. Um, uh, but then again, he does spare Leo at the very end of it. So it's it, a little unclear about how that's going to turn out which is interesting because you could definitely see orso turning into a villain right um although he's yeah. so fun to read <laughs> i will say though i'm like we're in deep spoilers territory so careful but um that that scene the hanging scene was that was really tense for me yeah and i really didn't i mean i kind of thought like oh, i'm probably gonna kill this character in a second book but i was just like i don't know man like this could go either way and like it was so grim and like real and just like this is rough. And I was just like on the edge of my seat because I read the book very quickly. I read it over the course of like three days. Yeah. So I was just like in it and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Um, I really like. I think that, you know, there's a lot about um, I'm just not sure. I mean, there's also a lot of like really good world building stuff. I think that one of the one of the things that I'm feeling is heading towards is that Baez has too many plates in the air before he had a singular mission, which was defeat, you know, the prophet and Gurkle and kind of did that and was on top of the world. But to do that, he, you know, almost like the reverse of what, how he was in the first book where like everyone's making a deal with the devil to get what they want. He didn't so much make deals with the devil, but he had to spread himself really thin in order to accomplish his goals. And there was a whole bunch of people who know what's up and are actively working against him. And I think that's what we'll probably see. I would imagine in the third book, because I mean, obviously we have the situation with the general, you know, uh, workers rebellion. Yeah. But that seems all very well. No, not necessarily because we, we definitely, we revealed who the weaver is. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it seems like that's going to be, that's just been in the background lately, you know, but that definitely is going to be a bigger part of it. Yep. And I think um, the fact that Bias wasn't present for almost this entire book yeah. kind of implies me that he's probably going to be very present in the third book. Well, who else is your villain going to be? Because we got right. rid of uh, uh, Stour Nightfall. Right. Right. So so who's the bad guy? Oh, that be scene, in, that in scene was three? also great. There's a lot of great scenes in this book. But, oh, yeah. Um, 
I was so man, I usually don't get in. I usually don't go in for the whole like, you know, where you're like rooting for characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I that usually just feels so fucking cringy to me. But man, at the end there, when you realize they were turning on him, I was like, oh, thank God. I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> like I fucking I'm so tired of this asshole. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed that so much. Yeah, it's. He really, he does such a good job of making you love and hate different characters, but for different reasons. Yeah. Right? Now, I think the very interesting thing is, I wanted to bring up with you, which is a little more broad, is that recently um, he did an AMA, Mm -hmm. and people kind of asked, like, what are you doing next? Because this is, you know, the last book's coming out next year, and, you know, are you still going to stick in first law, you know, on something else, whatever. And it sounds like whether he drives into this or not, I'm having trouble finding the exact quote, but effectively, he basically implied that the, he's going to do, do another trilogy or set of books or some combination in first law, but that it is probably going to be much closer to a high fantasy, which is like, what? And like... You know, it's just an implication, you know, reading between the lines or whatever. But um, I'm now I'm like, what? Where is this going? Like, I don't know where this is going to maybe to your point of just like, what are we doing here? But I'm very interested. Well, I mean, I would imagine if he's going to go high fantasy, it has to. Mm. I mean, because the first the world of first law is is industrializing. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to do high fantasy like chronologically in this same order. And I really do not want prequels. Well, but he said that it's going to be high fantasy and high technology. Not high technology, but like, you know, the blend of that, right? It's sort of uh, what he was implying. I mean, cool. Um, I think that, you know, he's been he's been teasing like a lot of like cool ass magical powers and shit <laughs> that he usually only pulls out in like little bits, you know, like like the big battle in Adua when, you know, when when the Gurkish came. Right. Mm hmm. Um, uh, so I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing books where like that kind of shit is happening all the time to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're going to cap things off, like, you know, kind of take the Game of Thrones route and just have things get like more and more like you ramp up the the high fantasy shit as you go. Um, I would probably be OK with that. I mean, but then again, you know, you could argue that. When he keeps those high fantasy elements kind of close to the vest and like you don't really understand how it all works, but it's just really cool ideas. Maybe that works better. But if we spend too much time with it, it's not either the it's going to lose its punch or the seams are going to show. Like, for example, um, when they go to meet um, the witch uh, and, you know, and it's just like, yeah, like. I thought we killed her back in like book three, but she's still alive, but her face is like held together with golden wire and she's weirder now. And I was like, and they never fully explain how any of that works, <laughs> what any of that means. It's just some cool evocative stuff. I'm like, yeah, good. But I worry that if you're going to spend all your time in that high fantasy world, you're going to have to start explaining more of that. And it might not it might not be as powerful. Yeah, I'd be curious. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of hints dropped in this book about different actors at play, right? Obviously, you've got stuff in Styria with Shanked and, you know, the king and Monza over there. And, you know, they say that Bias is out in the West dealing with his other siblings. And there's a bunch of magi that haven't even been named yet. Kind yeah. of you know, Tolkien style kind of thing. So it's just like, 
there's a bunch of people out there who can still do magic. And we don't know for sure that, you know, profit and all that. Like, we don't even know really what went down, right? I mean, we have an idea, but Pharaoh. And is is Shank the the old king? That's also a question, right? Come Um, on, guys. It just, I do feel like, (laughs) I appreciate the way that he keeps the story focused on the characters that are not aware of all this other bullshit. And it's fun in a way. There's also a point, and maybe this is just a personal thing, but I was like, but like, what about that stuff? <laughs> yeah, because that stuff's also cool. And I don't need to I don't need to have it be every mechanic of every whatever explained. But like, I don't know. I kind of want to I kind of want to see some of this all this scheming and politicking. Like, I know that's kind of the point, but I also like it should culminate to something. Right. Yeah, it's it's some of it's like you got to pay off on some of these teases. Right. I, I will say I really love the fact that we haven't seen uh, Monza yet. Yeah. After spending an entire book with her in Best Served Cold, which I still say is possibly Abercrombie's best, like, single book. Um, like, you know, but now she's just, like, you know this, as a reader, you know this character so well. But all you get from about her in these other books is other people just, like, talking about her in whispers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I'm like, when she comes in, oh boy. You know, because I know we're going to get a scene with her in the next one because we met the son mm-hmm. who heavily implied to be actually Call Shivers' son. Yep. Uh, which, cool, but also a little bit, we're getting a little bit into Star Wars prequel world here. Yeah, everyone's a little bit too convenient to one another. Yeah, it's like, oh, so everybody here is, everybody is a child of someone else from the previous books. It's like, yeah. oh, come on, like. And also every side character is secretly somebody else. And you're like, yes, like, you know, uh, Savine's aides and and things are like, oh, they're the bad. They're like the bad guys. Oh, okay, Like the East Wind or the West Wind or whatever. It's like, okay, wait, I didn't catch that. That one I didn't catch either. But apparently, you know, her like main right hand kind of lady. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely neater. (laughs) Interesting. Um, Because I I noticed there were a lot of details he was dropping about her that was a little bit too... Right. If she was like a mousy little aide, it wouldn't matter. But, you know, she's from Gurkle. But I was like, I'm not catching some of this. Okay. Yeah. um, Look into that a little bit. It's interesting stuff. But, uh, yeah. But there's a lot of like... I. It's weird because sometimes you can kind of catch it. Because like you said, like he, he kind of like... He's spending a lot of time describing this person. And it's hard to say if it's like he's just trying to be like a well fleshed out author or just like that he's trying to raise a little flag to you to recognize this person. Um, Cause even like the sorceress, I was like, is this the woman like woman with her head stitched together? I'm like, yeah. is this the woman from the, fr- Oh yeah, it is. I think. And you know, but once again, it's like, it's kind of nice. Cause like you don't need to know it. Cause like it doesn't affect right. our characters really. So that's the kind of nice thing about that is, and that's why I think the, the right balance to strike, right. Of having little things, the people who are paying attention, but not making it like, super relevant but at some point you do want those little teases to be relevant i don't know it's a hard hard yeah. line to walk but i'm and, and there's a, there's a tricky thing here where because you know and i you know i i i prefer a a less defined magic system right mm-hmm. um and the mechanics of the world to, the magics and all that to be a little less defined um and that's what he does. But one of the pitfalls there is because it's also ill-defined, 
you know, when he drops little details later on that are supposed to be hints for something, I don't necessarily I can't necessarily connect the dots because I don't know what elements of the magical shit he's shown us before are like, oh, this is something I should remember versus like, oh, that's just another cool idea that's never going to come up again. You know, right. Just the vague magic stuff, you know, right. I don't know which are the I don't as I'm as I'm seeing some cool new magical power. I don't know which ones that I'm like, file that away. That's going to be important, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I, I just like I'm really um, it's just really good. I'm at I'm feeling very one of the few bright spots for me right now, you know, in the world and whatever, especially since so much other media is sort of like, and there, you know, like we just talked about the boys and whatever else. But like a lot of stuff's just like delayed or on pause or in tenuous territory, you know, Star Wars. Um Reading has just been like, I read this series, you know, The Expanse this year that like I really loved and got a great new book from Joe Abercrombie that like I really liked and I'm excited to see where the next one goes and I'm into the series and and also, you know, I I have this, I just was thinking I was just, you know, getting the notification on my phone that like, yeah, Rhythm of War is out, new Stormlight. I'm just like, my heart started being a little faster because I'm like, ooh, I get to like be with these characters again. And it's like, Aww. that's good. That's a good place to be. Can I talk about one other thing about characters sure. real quickly? So Greg, this week, it's finally happening. In two days, the last episode of Supernatural ever. Yeah. The series finale. Yeah. Um, I am caught up. I've been watching it, you know, the day after because they put it on CW stream for free. Thanks, CW. Um, this season has been just OK, which is kind of disappointing. Um, I was really hoping they were going to get super weird and meta and they kind of started to and then kind of backed off of it, which is kind of disappointing. And I'm really confused, though, because last week's episode was felt very much like the end of the series. Uh-huh. They concluded the story. They had the resolution. They had the drive into the sunset moment with like the montage of all the characters and bad guys and all kinds of things, you know, set to some, you know, dad rock song. But specifically not carry on my wayward son, which is like what they're known for having the first or the last episode of every season starts with that playing. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a trope. Um, and the last episode is called carry on. Oof. <laughs> what? You, you you keep talking. I'm sorry. I don't mean to take away from your <laughs> from your from your great show about the band Kansas. <laughs> um, but I'm just now I'm now I'm like intrigued because I was like, OK, that's that was the end of the series. Like I thought it was. I was like, that must be I thought maybe like I misread and that next week is just like, you know, one of those like uh, nostalgic, just like we're going to interview the cast and talk about yeah. it kind of thing. And they are doing that. But that's the first hour and the second hour is like an actual episode. I'm just like. Well, what the fuck is this episode going to be? I'm kind of hoping it's like takes a really weird fucking dark turn because like the last episode was like, well, they pretty much the guy, you know, they pretty much solved the they, they they beat God and they solved the crisis and everything's good now. Back to normal. And it's like, OK, but one of the running themes of this show is like normal is kind of shitty for these dudes. Like, you know, they've been just fighting monsters and dying and seeing people they see love die over and over again, just fighting this ever landing fight. So like, I don't know. I was kind of like the show, you know, this personally the, the second half or three quarters of this show has been just okay. You know, probably should have ended at some point a lot earlier, but it's not terrible. But now I'm like, are they gonna do something really cool in the last episode? I don't know. I'm really curious, Greg. Maybe it'll be a time skip. Maybe that could be interesting. I, I just don't know. It's weird. It's a really weird choice. 
Uh, but I'm excited. Are they, to see. Like, are they setting up spinoffs or anything like that? Like, is it like, is anything? You I don't know, think like, so. Yeah. I mean, they said that, like, you know, like, you know, they say nowadays, like, never say never. You right. know, about, but like, it's not like it's not like they've because sometimes it they'll do with you know where it's like it's already been announced that there's going to be a spinoff, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. then they might you know do like kind of a backdoor pilot kind of thing for it. No, they've tried multiple backdoor pilots for spinoffs, but none of them stuck. The one I was actually like kind of interested in. Um, but they didn't, they didn't pitch, they didn't like green light it for whatever reason. Um, the one, the other one was fucking God awful. Um, that was the worst episode of Supernatural that ever existed. And I'm just like, let's make Supernatural, but also kind of like Twilight. And it's like, stop, like, <laughs> don't, uh, or more, or like, let's just CW like Supernatural a little bit, making them all sexy, sexy teens. And, you know, in Chicago mm. and it's like, please, no, please don't do this. Like one of the weird charms of uh supernatural is that there really isn't any love interests and i mean i guess at one point like these dudes were like sexy sexy teens but like they're like in their 40s now and they're probably some of the oldest actors on the cw so like it's fine don't need to do anything else like that hmm. although to segue back to our other topic i'm right i'm excited as i mentioned last time to see jensen ackles being the boys season three as a character that i've not seen him play anyone but this character before because <laughs> i think the only thing he did besides this was soap operas <laughs> Yeah. So, but yeah, it's the end of an era. 15 seasons, Greg. That's a lot of, that's a lot of sexy werewolf kissing. They don't kiss werewolves. But I do think it's interesting that this show did a little bit of a reversal. You know how, so go back in time a bit, Greg, to a time when, um, you know, all TV was mostly episodic and they were all you know 23 episode seasons and they were an hour long and sometimes you'd get a little bit of plot movement that progressed the larger through line if there was one and how for me at least i always looked forward to those bits right mm-hmm. the last couple of seasons of supernatural it's been kind of the opposite which is like eh, this is a plot episode i mean i'm interested because i want to see how the story progresses but like what am i actually enjoying watching more it's oftentimes just like the random Monster of the Week episodes, and it's just like, I think that's an accomplishment in a way, because not a lot of shows do that. Because even The Mandalorian, it's like, well, they're kind of doing the episodic thing, but also like not super great. It's just okay. But yeah, I just, I, I mean, I don't know if like. So here's a here's a, here's a question: Like, does Monster of the well, uh, does episodic work in areas other than comedy? I think it can, but I just I don't. It has a very limited, I would, okay, I would say this. I would say, my gut would say, in general, no. And if it does, it has a very limited shelf life. Yeah. Because you can only do something before you're kind of like, well, we're going to fall into some sort of pattern or routine. And however, like, you know, 15 seasons in, I still feel like every once in a while, there would be like an episodic episode of Supernatural where I'd be like, huh, this was fucking clever or like yeah, weird or funny or whatever. And that was probably surrounded by a bunch of like pretty meh, either plot episodes or episodic episodes or the combination of the two. But so I don't know. Um, I think that I don't think I would pursue a show that was strictly episodic unless it was like billed as like an anthology or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that's the yeah, because I just feel like if it's drama, like you become emotionally invested in the characters and what's happening to them, which means their life needs to change, you know, mm-hmm. in order for you to care. There, so there needs to be a promise or threat of 
the status quo changing. And if it's completely episodic, like that's just not going to happen. Um, and that works for comedy because you're not in, you're just there for the jokes and for the comfort, you know? Yeah. Like I'm not watching Bob's burgers to see like if Tina's going to pass fifth grade, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm just like, Oh, I just want to hang out with the Belcher family for a half an hour. Cause they, they make me laugh and they make me happy. Okay. So I want everything to reset at the end of the episode, but like, Again, haven't watched any of Mandalorian season two, but like I'm seeing some chatter that like it's get it's a little too episodic and people are just not comfortable with that. And I'm I'm like, yeah, I kind of think that might be a thing, you know? Yeah, like, I, mean, I, I think it's just like you can only accomplish a certain kind of storytelling in a 20 minute or a 30 minute or a 40 minute block of time. Right. I'm not saying yeah. you can't do some cool stuff in that. I think Witcher has some good examples of like really compelling individual episodes that you could maybe you could see maybe a Witcher. But once again, what's the shelf life? If you didn't have in Yennefer's story and then building up to meeting up or whatever, like, would you have watched that whole show? Yeah. And there's and and yeah, there are a couple Monster of the Week episodes in in, in, in the Witcher. And I think that's fine. But I feel like it's like it's like 75, 25, you know, like 75 percent of this is like forward plot movement. And even if it is just kind of a monster hunt episode, there's you're definitely it is still teaching you something about the bigger story here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, very few of them are like you could take this completely out <laughs> and you could skip this episode and nobody would know, you know. Yeah. I would kind of frame it like this is can you do an ep- episode, a monster of the week style show without it becoming a procedural procedural? No, <laughs> which is kind I don't of think what, so. not anymore. Yeah. Which is kind of what happens, right? Cause you just do go, th- you go through the same plot beats every time. Right. Yeah. Um, I imagine that probably happened in a lot of shows we liked, you know, there's, you know, Star Trek, Buffy, like whatever you call it, probably that happened, right? Where well, there's probably large swaths of certain Star Treks where, I don't know, costumes, maybe even, maybe not so much later seasons, but I, I don't know. I, I shouldn't speak on Star Trek. Maybe I should withdraw. Star Trek that. might be, at least Next Generation might be an exception. But isn't there a bunch of just like really bad Next Generation swaths? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> probably don't those feel a little samey or procedural in those low points? Um, it's an interesting I've never watched Next Generation to try and like see if I can suss out like what okay, what is the what's the formula here? You mm-hmm. know? There might be one that where the episodes follow a certain formula, kinda like a procedural, like, okay, well now we're gonna you know, the first thing is they meet the they encounter the the thing and then you know, Picard thinks about it one way and then there's a conversation with a crew member that changes his mind. You know what I mean? Like yeah. is there something like that? There might be that I just haven't been paying attention for. Um, uh, but yeah, I just think it's, it's people, exp- I think people invest more now in, in non-con, well, in every TV show. Yeah. So I think that the expectations of like, I'm just here for a half an hour of entertainment and that's all I need from it. I think that that's, we just watch TV differently now. So you couldn't make the X-Files, right. um, which was an hour long drama week, you know, essentially a drama, um, or thriller i guess maybe but like with very, was there was very little connective kid, tissue so. from episode to episode on the x-files right um until the later seasons where they tried to build out more mythology and lore but um like i just don't think you can do that anymore i just no. think that people invest too much no and i think people just they just expect a higher they expect a more complex you know compelling form of writing right yeah and and the and the you know there's a there's a whole uh additional economy of you know, um, 
recaps and commentary online that, you know, getting a lot of chatter about your episode week to week gets you keeps your viewer, your viewership up and your engagement up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so strategically, you want your show to be something that people are going to be able to write a lot of recaps and analysis for. Right. Because that helps build buzz. And if there's no questions about what's going to happen next week, you know, because it's like, well, anything could happen. Depends on what planet they go to, you know. Yeah. You're not going to have that. And and certainly, you know, bigger shows, you, there's some element of the writing process that's always thinking about things like that. You know, like, um, I don't know how prevalent it is right now, but like for a long time, like there were a lot of like, you know, you're you're writing and directing and editing your show looking for like moments that make good gifts, you know, mm -hmm. like um, because that, you know, and you want a certain number of those in your episode because that helps build buzz for next week. Um, you know, uh, cause you know, Karen writes, uh, you know, recaps for some sites and like, it's weird because like they get, like if you're on the beat for a particular show, like you will get authorized official screen caps, like delivered to you from the network, hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, there's a certain, well, we're just going to save everybody the hassle of like having to do the screen caps, but it's also like, oh, so the network is already thinking about these are the scenes that we want people talking about. So these are the screenshots we're going to pull, you know, right to send to, to send to people to talk about. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a strategic choice they're making. Yeah. And, and, and you wonder, like, how much of that, like, once the script is done for an episode, like who's going through it and saying, like, and circling, OK, you've got this. This is it. This is a good gift moment. This is a good screenshot moment, you know, mm. Um does that happen? I mean, I think it probably does because I know that there's a um, there's like a rule for like half hour comedies, which is uh, a laugh line every 30 seconds, something like that. And um, if you watch like super tight, you know, um, sitcoms or comedies, you can set your watch to it. Like watch an episode of The Simpsons or Big Bang Theory. And like it is every 30 seconds, almost on the dot, you get a... um you get a laugh line and you can also tell that there's like a conscious distribution of like highbrow and lowbrow jokes. Like mm -hmm. we got to have enough in here for dumb guys to laugh at. Like, so there'll be just like a certain proportion of like obvious poop jokes or whatever. And then some more stuff that's more referential or more cerebral. And like, it's evenly distributed throughout the episode. Like I feel like there are people in here, like looking, looking at the formula and like making sure it's hitting its marks. So, yeah, no, I think you're probably right. And, you know, at the same time, you have shows that, you know, are probably just completely abandoning that mold and just making, you know, 10 hour long movies. Yeah. You mean right? good shows? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, yeah. yeah, man. I One of the things I can tell, like when I'm watching it a, a, and it's got to be a streaming show. Um, but like when you see and you look at the episodes and they're all different lengths, I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually yep. doing something here. Um, like a Netflix show and it's like, but then you look and they're all like exactly 43 minutes and you're like, ew, what did, why would you do this? Yeah. You're not beholden to this anymore. Yeah. You don't have to, you could, you don't have to. Yeah. Wow. All right. It's late. Oh, it is late. Good Sorry. God. Tuesday night. <laughs> what is hey. time anymore? And hey, look, we only talked about politics for like 30 minutes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I want to check the timestamp on that one. What? I want to check the timestamp on that one. 
It was good to catch up though and talk yeah. about some fun things. Looking forward to some more, you know, chatter down the road here. Um, some point maybe we, you know we'll we'll discuss some, some full series as we catch up on them. I know we'll have WandaVision if you're in for that in January. That'll it looks exciting. interesting so far. Um, it, it it does look interesting so far. I am largely over Marvel, <laughs> um, but that actually looks like it could go somewhere. Um, it looks weird, but so. I've been fooled before. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, hopefully, um, I hope that you know. I don't know when we'll be recording next, but I hope everyone has as good a Thanksgiving as they can have and if we don't put an episode up after that as good a christmas as you can have in this time period and be safe and make good decisions yeah and you know get tested before you travel yeah if they there's you probably have access to rapid testing and it probably is if, if you have to pay for it it's probably worth the investment to just build that into your travel plans so that you can uh, at least be confident um, and demand the same of the people you're visiting. If you're visiting. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is just honesty and communication and critical honesty, right? Don't just assume like, Oh, they're all being safe because that means different things, different people. And as I said before, we all rationalize that a lot of stupid shit we do. So just be thoughtful. But all that said, the virus hasn't learned any new powers since the spring. If anything, we know more about how to fight it, True. but you will encounter more potentially infected people when you leave your house. So that's what you got to think about is that the risk of infection is now a proportion of how many people you encounter. So, but you know, masks and hand washing still the, still the thing. All right. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, until it disappears after the election. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to do that, that it I'm, was going to like just go away. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Weird. I'm starting yeah. to think this isn't a hoax. You think? I, I'm still, I'm like, I'm like 80-20, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I know that, I mean, look, I know I'll get the real scoop when, uh, when I, when I can get my platinum subscription to Trump TV. Oh, uh, yeah. So that I can get the members only Q drops. And that's <laughs> how I'll really know what's, what's up. Um. Once that uh, Patreon gets off the ground. Oh, man. I was, like, really tired, Greg, and now you just full, filled me full of rage. So now I'm going to be up watching Attack on Titan probably. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, try to get, like, four episodes in. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. Later, dude.